Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Perry and I grew up in the same house. And one day, he stood up and went out the back door. Well, I went out the front I've advised and armed the Hellenic Army. I've neutralized champions of communism. I've spent the past three years learning Finnish, which should come in handy here in Virginia. You saw what I did to your little blonde friend at the factory, right? Oh, that was nothing. That was fun. Fun. That's fun. All right. I'm not excusing myself from this either. I will have someone play me to delve into the murky, cowardly depths of my lonely, fucked up being. And he'll get notes too, and those notes will correspond to the notes I truly receive every day from my God. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Moore, and I am joined by James Diamond. Hello. Anna Hughes. Hello. As we uh, take a look at the last seven days in film, um, and a bit longer, really, actually. Um, but anyway, we're going to start off with the quiz. Uh, before James takes over his role as quiz master, he made me and Owen watch Knowing. <laughs> I, I can't help but think that I started this by by, yeah, yes. by making them watch Cutthroat Island, which James has watched that Owen hasn't. So next week, we'll be talking about Cutthroat Island. I think you can't wait. Uh, biggest <laughs> box office, biggest box office flop of all time for those who don't know. Um, but yes, knowing starring Nicolas Cage and some aliens that uh, might well be angels. Hey, Owen. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? Might as well just chuck. <laughs> you've got to chuck that right in there, <laughs> Steve. But yeah, I think that might be classed as a spoiler. But I don't know because no the whole going to whelm me. The whole no one's quite it, symbolic sure. of that sort of thing, though, yeah. right from the yeah. very beginning. So, well, there's, 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 I can't remember Nicolas Cage's son's name in the film, but it's a biblical name. Yeah, I can't remember what it is, but it's it's not something like Noah or Moses, but it's you know one of the one of the second tier Bible characters. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, Europa League Bible characters. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. So knowing, uh, I. I'll be honest, I didn't rewatch it this week. Uh, I didn't. I didn't have that much dedication to the cause, but I, I did see it probably about 18 months ago. I think it was for the first time, and it has stuck in my head as being one of the the ten worst. I would say the ten worst kind of Hollywood films because I've seen some absolute dreck mm. like that has been made for no money, but this was. A big budget Hollywood film with the, and I'd say it's in the top ten of those films in terms of being the worst, a utterly terrible film mm. that actually made me angry. None of it made any sense. There's that, and there's, and there's yeah. one point where Nicholas Cage's character is talking to the daughter. Right in the film, there's a girl fifty years ago who um, 
somehow predicts, writes down a load of numbers that goes in the time capsule, ends up being a prediction of the future. And there's one point in the film where Nicolas Cage is explaining this to the, the woman's daughter, you know, 50 years on, and Nicolas mm-hmm. Cage looks confused. <laughs> he looks confused doing his lines, like, what the fuck am I talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Like this, this doesn't make any sense. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's it, it's it's a terrible script. Um, terror, pretty ropey effects as well. So, yeah, there's um, ones that without going into too much detail with really poor like CGI yeah. fire. And you think yeah. that was obviously fake, just so blindingly obvious. Yeah, and and as I said to uh, to Owen before before this challenge was even laid down, um, I'm a huge Nick Cage. This is the one Nick Cage film where I've seen Nick Cage not even be good, and to me, that that's the sign of a, a terrible film. That's the sign of the coming of the apocalypse. Nick Cage is always entertainment in a film in my opinion yeah well, you've not um, seen ghost rider 2 so i've not seen i, I find i'm still finding it difficult to believe that he's bad in that film he is I, I, oh, he's playing oh, it like God. a teenager but he looks about 60 years old in it it's very but, strange but, no, but none of the film makes sense the whole plot doesn't make sense from from these angels that um uh, that i'm not i don't care if i spoil it for people because you shouldn't watch it <laughs> Wow. These, okay. these, these angels that are aliens that save the kids at the end and take them to some other planet and leave them there if they can predict the future 50 years ahead why don't they just rescue everyone 50 years ago yeah, there, there's a lot of honest there's, there's not, it's, not, it's not like some film where they go right well all you adults are bad because you've made the human race horrible and bad and evil and wars and everything but we're going to save the yeah. kids because you know kids are the future there's no kind of message like that in it it's just and how can they predict like you know, I get how they could predict like a natural disaster, like the sun blowing up, like it does in the film. How can they predict the plane crash? And what's the point of that? Well, the sun doesn't blow up for a start. Well, you know, <laughs> just... yeah, I know, but I'm, being, you know, it might as well do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just a solar flare, which just goes back to the point that you, you're making about how could they predict that something that is completely yeah. random and unpredictable. Worse, worse, worse science than, than 2012 and the day after tomorrow. Because there's no, there's no element of time travel or anything it's like not. that. It's just they kind of know. Yeah, hence the name Which of the film. Which comes obviously. back to the whole um, the religious. religious side of it, and it's all yeah, there. it's kind of faith and uh, that that is the impression I got from it. It was kind of like tr- I think trying to argue with the film is like trying to argue with a fundamentalist Christian. Uh, you just, you're just banging your head up against the wall, and it kind of keeps going, yeah, but that's the truth yeah. kind of thing. So that I think that's the issue. It's fucking terrible. Yeah, I don't really know um, much about Alex Poyas, the director. Um, mm. Obviously, you know, I've seen a few of his films, like uh, iRobot is probably his most famous one, which mm. it, it has its problems. It's not bad. It's not bad. It's not a bad film. It's, it's, a, it's just one big advert, but it's, you know, it's okay. It's enjoyable enough. It's better than knowing. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely better. <laughs> well, yeah. He, he also did The Crow, didn't he? Which is a huge yeah. cult film. Which I, I really like The Crow. Yeah, but you know, with this, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Owen does I'm not, not particularly keen on The Crow. Although I did see it first as a moody teenager, so maybe that helps. Yeah, I I saw it as a like quite a young teenager, and I thought, oh, it's it's pretty cool, I guess. And then when I saw it again when I was a bit old, I was like, no, this is just really cheesy and awful. <laughs> but knowing it, there's there's just something there about. The, 
the religious side of it, which, it, okay, I get that it's, like I said, it's been symbolic about very di various different aspects of, of what religion means to people, and, you know, how you can have a God and being all-knowing, okay, because that's in the, the title of the film, knowing. But, <laughs> hey, that's the title. Yeah, but um, it, it's just, just a very strange, confused film, I think. He's got a point to make, but I don't think he knows what he's trying to say, and that comes across in the actual film mm, yeah in, in many respects nobody knows what the point is in more way than one yeah right yeah. now after that i, I just want to say are, are we are we going to have a bit of a cold war now are we going to have a detente or are we going to escalate this until there's no one left standing because this could get this could get painful if we continue <laughs> along at this route that we have chosen i i don't know Oh. <laughs> oh God! We just have to you wait. You are the and see Kim what... Jong Il of this podcast. <laughs> we just have to wait and see what pops into Steve's head next time he runs the, the Jesus quiz. Jesus Christ! Yeah, I've, I've I've got a plan. Should I win? And it's okay. It'll be revealed if I win. Is it to finally watch the final member as well? You bloody Welch. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> it's just the arrogance. Is it again? <laughs> Steve is North Korea. <laughs> I'm, no, well, anyway, yes. get on with it. Okay, all right, okay. So yeah, on with the quiz then. So who am I describing <coughs> from these films? And I'm going to start with a film called Blind Dating in 2006. Still a black. <laughs> Sadly not. <laughs> Um, also in 2006, Smoking Aces. Uh, Owen. Yes. Uh, Jason Statham. No. Is he in Smoking Aces? I can't remember. He's... It's a Guy Ritchie film, isn't it? No. I'm, not, I'm getting it wrong. Confused. Smoking Aces. Uh, no, it's oh, not a Guy Ritchie no? film. It's the one about a load of um, uh, hitmen who descend on Las Vegas and a right. magician and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Steve. Yes. Jerry Piven. No, nice guess though. Yeah, because Jerry Piven is in that. Yeah. Okay. Um, in 2008, Bottle Shock. I don't think I've heard of Bottle Shock. No. Okay. I am. I'm just warning you. I am now missing out a big film here, uh, and I'm moving on to a film called Small Town Saturday Night in 2010. It's a long title. <laughs> Never okay, also in 2010, Unstoppable, or The Train That Wouldn't oh, Slap. Owen, Steve. Owen. Owen was uh, in first. Bruce Willis. No, was he in... wasn't even in Unstoppable. 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 Oh, for fuck's sake. I'm that having a nightmare Steve, Steve, Steve's nightmare. in there, yes. Steve. Uh, Chris Pine. Correct. Oh, <laughs> the toss-up between Chris Pine and Denzel, and it wasn't Denzel. Yeah, I left out Star Trek. Yeah. Uh, yes, and it was then going to be Celeste and Jesse forever. If it was Denzel, it would have been a lot longer than 2006, the first one. Oh, I, didn't know, right. I didn't know he was in Smoking Aces. Owen, were you thinking of Unbreakable? Oh, yeah. See, I'm having yeah. another one of these family going modern family moments, aren't I? Yeah. <laughs> so Steve goes 1-0 up, and we are one week closer <laughs> to the unveiling of Steve's master plan. What did you think of the train that couldn't slow down? 
Do you know what? I I kind of liked it. It wasn't it a was, great film. It was a silly action film that was a you know. It was it was a Tony Scott film. <laughs> it was ridiculous. It had stupid action, but um, it, it had was... two quite charming leads and I saw it. It was it was one hour forty five minutes. I didn't regret. It, put it that it was, way. It was pretty inoffensive, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I didn't mind it actually. I, it was it was decent. It enough. wasn't knowing. No, exactly <laughs> right. if you're gonna have a dumb action film, you'd prefer that dumb action film to be directed by Tony Scott. Put it that way. Yeah, I think that's a fair, yeah. fair comment. Uh, on to the news now. Um, only one real bit of news, unfortunately, sad news. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman has passed away this week. Um, obviously, commiserations. Uh, to his family and our best wishes go out to all, all of the, you know, our thoughts go out to, uh, to all of them, his family and friends. Mm. Uh, we don't really want to speculate too much on the hows and the whys because mm. we're not some tacky gossip magazine who's going to intrude on someone's private life, but we do want to pay tribute to him, the actor, as he has been in many excellent films and put in many excellent performances. Yeah, uh, just a few of those. Uh, you will have heard at the beginning of this podcast um, a lovely video that's been put together on Vimeo by a man called Ben Zook. And I'll put the link in the article that uh, surrounds this as well. And they'll be a bit playing out the podcast. But you kind of when you look at all the films he's been in, you think, actually, as a man who never I, I can't think of a bad performance in any. He's, he hasn't. I'm not saying all the films were great by any stretch of the imagination. Um but he was a man who just, uh, he always lit up the screen and he was usually the best thing in a film. Um, uh, he obviously won the Oscar in 2005 for the title role in Capote. But just some of the other films he, he's been in, uh, Boogie Nights, The Big Lebowski. Uh, first, first film that he was really in was Scent of a Woman as a, a young lad in that. And he's absolutely fantastic in Scent of a Woman. Um, and something that, uh, at Kate Diamond, uh, <coughs> nepotism playing here again. Of course, my wife. So that's her favourite Philip Seymour Hoffman performance, and she's gutted that not enough people have seen that film because it is one of those underrated films, I think. A um, few other people who have um, kind of contacted us on Twitter. Uh, at Duke uh, said that he only watched it late yesterday, but Love Lisa was one of his favourites. Goes through the whole gamut of emotions, nails every single one of them. At Shork, he said he was brilliant in The Master didn't like the film that much i have my issues with the master but he was incredible in it uh so he his favorite is uh capote uh at brooker 411 uh obvious ones for him doubt capote and 25th hour and a few people actually said um mission uh mission impossible 3 um in fact a really interesting uh, jackson tyler i just want to read out his tweets um at tyler 002 uh said all of them, but especially Mission Impossible 3, which is a terrible, terrible movie, garbage script, garbage direction, literally nothing to work with, but Philip Seymour Hoffman makes his scenes special. Many are great, uh, many are good in great films, but that's doing the impossible. And I, I think, I, I don't necessarily agree uh, quite as strongly as Jackson does on, on Mission Impossible 3. I quite like the franchise anyway. But the great thing for me about Philip Seymour Hoffman was he could do he could do pretty much anything he could play those special parts in big hollywood films like mission impossible 3 i watched the along came polly again recently the ben stiller jennifer aniston roncom he's the best thing in that by absolute miles away he's he's very funny 
But he also did some incredible work in films like The Master, Capote, um, uh, Boogie Nights, Magnolia. Uh, and and I've just realised how many more films looking through that I haven't even seen him in yet. Yeah, well, not many people mentioned Punch Drunk Love, but I think he's brilliant in that. I mean, mm. people go on about how hey, it's strange because Adam Sandler's in it and Adam Sandler acts really well. But it, yeah. the small role that Philip Seymour Hoffman has is is one of the best things in it. You know, have yeah. you seen it? And yes, I have. A long, long time yeah. ago, and you're absolutely and right. And he's phone uh, boy. Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Shut! Shut! Shut, shut the fuck up! <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. Um, and again, and someone else, man. And I've still not seen it. I feel terrible. I've not seen Almost Famous. Um, it's just one of those films that has passed me by, and I've never got around to watching. And a few people just mentioned his cameo in Almost Famous, just saying that, you know, again, best thing in the film. Uh, he's possibly one of the best things in the big lebowski for me um he, he's he's an utterly brilliant uh well was uh, an utterly brilliant actor and uh and, and only 46 as well I, I didn't realize that he was only 46 and i think alongside as steve said you know our thoughts really go out to the fact that he left a family uh a, a long-term partner and three children that's you know let's not kid ourselves that's the ultimate tragedy here but from an artistic and a cultural point of view, potentially 30 more years of films from someone like Philip Seymour Hoffman that we, you know, we've missed out on. And that, I, I think the film world is going to be poorer for that. And it's, it's a huge shame. Uh, and it, it genuinely, it shook me a little bit, actually. It, it, it shook me up because it just came out of absolute nowhere. Um, so yeah, clearly, sadly missed. But anyone who loves film, has said how much they're going to miss him and they we really are and i think that's a a real shame and i think it was kind of inevitable that this this episode you know going forward and some of the films we're going to talk about later and maybe some of the recommendations are going to take on a bit of a uh a philip seymour hoffman uh feel uh and and rightly so so uh on to what uh, i'll have a break and then we'll be on to what we've been watching It's time for what we've been uh, watching now, uh, where we take a look at the films that we have watched over the last week or so uh, that aren't necessarily new releases. James, do you want to kick us off with your continued quest around the world of cinema? Uh, well, I would do if I'd seen anything. Um, see, this is what I do. I start something <coughs> and then like, other stuff gets in the way. It's really good to see, actually. There's a couple of people on Twitter who've really been taking this seriously. Uh, I said it was a really good idea and they've like really gone, gone on with it. Uh, one of them is at Andrew Alcock uh, and another one is at Shorky1969. They, if you look on the hashtag around the world in 80 films, they've been piling in on some interesting ones. I've got a few more um, today. Uh, I've, I've been out to a, a CEX and picked up a couple more for a quid each, um, including the Korean film that Owen mentioned recently is his favourite Korean film uh so far and that is this bittersweet is it this bittersweet life a bittersweet life a bittersweet yeah, life like Kim Ji yes yeah yeah so i've picked that so i uh, and i've also picked up a norwegian film called oh horton and considering i've been in scandinavia i'm tempted to hang out in scandinavia for another week and then head <laughs> out to korea but um yeah very quickly uh one film i did watch this week was 9.79 which is an espn 30 for 30 documentary uh very quickly i'd just say it's the center of the 100 metres, uh, essentially. It's about a great rivalry 
between Carl Lewis and Ben Johnson, and it focuses mainly on the 1988 100 metres final at the Seoul Olympics, which is one of my first sporting memories, I'll be honest. The, the shock of like this big star cheating. Uh, that, that, that affected me quite a lot as a, an eight-year-old. As we know, I get affected by a lot of things. But um, what I will just say very quickly, uh, this documentary, the good thing of it is all eight sprinters they've got interviews with, including Linford Christie, uh, Ben Johnson, Carl Lewis, uh, and a few others, uh, and a lot of the key players behind what was happening in sprinting at the time. That's the good thing. The bad thing is that no one really challenges them. Uh, so they're, they're kind of left to challenge each other via their individual interviews so you've got to do a lot of work yourself and and kind of go well who do i believe there's not much cross-examination going on um but a really interesting documentary but the film i want to talk about is the savages uh which is a philip seymour hoffman film uh last night um talking to people about philip seymour hoffman and this film came across quite a few times uh people recommended it it was uh, at Sundance uh, and Toronto in 2007 um, stars Philip Seymour Hoffman and Laura Linney who I love as well and she was actually Oscar nominated uh, for this role in 2007 as well so the uh, the film itself is about a sister and a brother who aren't completely estranged but they're not particularly close and they are they are pretty much estranged from their father who's been living with someone uh, for the last 20 years but she dies and he's suffering the kind of first stages of dementia. And so they have to, this, this kind of broken up family has to come back together and kind of work through the, the trauma that goes with uh, any family that's had to go through dementia. Um, it's very much a kind of, it is very much a Sundance film. I don't know if anyone saw recently, there was a video going around about it, it was someone made the typical Sundance film. Uh, and yeah, there are kind of like random shots of birds shooting up from the sky and kind of twiddly music and stuff like that. And, you know, it is about people and their feelings and things like that. It's very much a, a Sundance film. But when you've got Laura Linney and Philip Seymour Hoffman in the leads, kind of don't care so much. And you just let them get on with their work. And uh, I really enjoyed this film. It's far from being a... A cheerful film, certainly not a cheerful film. I, I wouldn't even call it uplifting either. And some bits of it are very dark and depressing, but with tinges of humour, uh, kind of gallows humour that people, human beings, have to find in those kind of situations. So both Laura Linney and Philip Seymour Hoffman, they uh, they are they they both work in the theatre world. Um, uh, they're characters, and they're very liberal. There's a lot of kind of uh, discussions of liberal guilt when they talk about whether or not to put their father in a nursing home and things like that um some really really nice interactions between the two of them uh and them with other characters as well philip bosco actually is lenny savage their dad uh excellent excellent performance from him as a man really you know just kind of losing touch with reality it is quite an upsetting film in some in some places um uh, well, I would say is Laura Linney actually is the the star. She's absolutely fantastic. She kind of she carries this a lot of this film on her shoulders because uh, she is the one who ends up kind of becoming closer to her father and spending more time with him. So that that relationship is the the key part of the film. But Philip Seymour Hoffman as fantastic as he always is in this, essentially, um, uh, and also very very funny. Uh, both Laura Linney, Philip Seymour Hoffman, 
very very funny in this and i think the only other thing i'd say about this film is it could have been one of those films that tried to make its protagonists heroic the fact that they come back and look after their dad you know and they drop a lot of their life uh, but it doesn't it doesn't make them out to be heroes it's it's actually quite an honest film and it says do you know what some people go through hard times some people have to do things they don't want to do and some people get on with it and it's not kind of making them heroes and it shows their flaws and it's just quite a human kind of drama um about the small things that can affect one one family so no i, I definitely i recommend it I, I picked it up on dvd from a charity shop yesterday because i went out looking for films and uh, uh picked it up and I, I think it's quite easily available though uh and it's you can you can rent it from love film for example but yeah it's definitely worth watching um well i watched myself a uh, another philip seymour hoffman film although he he's he's not in it kind of a considerable amount that was the 2011 uh, oscar nominated uh film moneyball starring brad pitt and jonah hill uh, based on a on a book or on a true events of the Oakland athletics baseball team, um, where the general manager, um, who played by Brad Pitt tries to assemble a team on the cheap using statistics to pick kind of underrated players. Uh, it get on base, get on base. Yeah. <laughs> it's all about getting on base. Basically don't go for glory, do it for the team. Don't hit a home yeah. run, just get on base. Anyway, uh, I did not. This, it was. I found it okay. I didn't find it great. I didn't find it. I didn't find any of the performances great. I didn't find it bad. Maybe it's because I get paid to analyse football data and write about football using statistics. And maybe it was kind of a busman's holiday for me. Maybe the last thing I wanted to do <laughs> when I was sitting down to watch a, a film to enjoy was what yeah. was watch one about sports statistics. Well, maybe it was because baseball is probably more boring than cricket. Whoa, 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 <laughs> whoa, whoa. Cricket's awesome. Stats are awesome. What's wrong with I, you, I man? didn't criticise cricket. I criticised <laughs> baseball. <laughs> yeah, I know, but the inference was there, Steve. I know what you were saying. Um, yeah, I, I just didn't find it. It was good. It was watchable. You know, I wanted to watch it to the end. I, I didn't dislike it, but I just didn't find it great. I didn't find it Oscar worthy. I didn't find any of the performances kind of stand out um and i suppose the whole the whole idea of the film and the book and, and and what the guy tried was was to change baseball and win on the cheap and although they set a, a league record and won 20 games on the trot they didn't actually win anything so yeah. it's kind of kind of makes the whole thing a bit pointless in my mind because if they'd gone and, and won the world series with this moneyball method of finding because you know one of them is a really good pitcher but he's got a really funny technique it looks ridiculous but he's he's really effective yeah if if that had worked if they'd won the world series maybe that would have made it better because it's kind of you know a, a bigger end game i'm not saying mm -hmm. you know dramatize that and change the ending because that would have been stupid yeah because clearly <laughs> that would have really annoyed people. yeah yeah <laughs> but you know but um maybe if that had actually happened and then the film could have centered around that so would... you're saying the film shouldn't have even been made in the first place no, uh, no i'm just kind of i'm just kind of <laughs> saying it, it lacks something and, no. it, and it all seems I, it all seems a bit pointless making a film about them when they didn't do anything i mean I you know you could go 20 
No one, all right, it'll go down the record book and people remember it, but it's not really, it's an achievement, but it's not really a sporting achievement because you've not won anything. There's no trophy at the end of it. There's no medal at the end of it. There's no glory at the end of it. But there but, was a journey and there was a book that came out of it. And well, what I would say, and I think I think it's quite interesting actually, Steve, because clearly you're, you know, you, you're someone who writes about sport and you're someone who writes about sport statistics. Uh, and that's quite interesting because you said kind of, didn't really do much for you because I, I know a lot of people who enjoyed it know nothing about baseball know nothing about sport and kind of i know for a number of people one of the the successes of the film was that it got them to care they at least cared about what happened in the film despite the fact that they have no interest in baseball and have no interest in ever knowing anything about baseball as well um maybe i'm slightly biased because the script is by aaron sorkin who cannot mm-hmm. do anything wrong not just in my eyes but in the eyes of God, okay. It's uh, a, a bold claim. It is a bold claim. Do not presume to speak um, on behalf of God, but... <laughs> <laughs> this, um, this podcast does not no, claim to speak no, on behalf of no, 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 yeah, Only we, James. We are not, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's up for other people to decide whether or not I am which, God. Um, which, de- which, which deity me and Owen speak on behalf of is up for you to decide. Just, yeah, just just not the one that gets us into lots of trouble. That's all I'm going to say. Anyway, what's wrong with Buddha? Buddha, yeah. yes, but the Buddhists <laughs> are not. Is is yeah. isn't, te- isn't technically the one that would get us into trouble the same one as as God? Oh, any God, even, yeah. yeah. Oh God, let's not even go into this. Moneyball, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Jonah Hill, I thought was. Sorry, yeah, Jonah Hill, I thought was excellent uh, in Moneyball, and it was the first one where people went. Oh my God, Jonah Hill can act, uh, and he doesn't just sit around being. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, don't, I didn't find anyone bad in it. It wasn't a bad film. I just didn't see it being as as, okay. as great as what it kind of the the kind of praise it got. But obviously, yeah, Jonah Hill probably was the standout one in it because it is the. Although mm. I've seen this after I've seen him act as it. Were, yeah. It is his first film where he's not doing a comedy or a first kind of yeah. main high-profile film where he's not doing a comedy. And, and mm. he is very good, and it, you kind of get yeah. to see how versatile he is, and how how not a one trick pony he is. Yeah, I I, I liked it. I, I I liked it. It remind me. It did actually, in a way, remind me a little bit of just a dramatized ESPN thirty for thirty or something like that. I thought I thought it was an interesting story. Um, and and I, I t- totally get what you mean about it not really having a a kind of Hollywood narrative and it doesn't at all. Um, but I, I enjoyed the journey along the way. I thought it had some nice performances, but as a matter of balance, my wife, who is just as big a fan, possibly bigger than me of Aaron Sorkin. It's the one thing of his that she's stopped watching halfway through and is not bothered that she didn't finish it. So, you know, that maybe I am wrong, but I, I enjoyed it. Oh, I think we'll probably have to agree to disagree on that one then. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, all right, why don't you finish off what we've been watching then with with the film that you have have watched? Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm just going to mention as well because, like everybody else this week, I also watched a Philip Seymour Hoffman film, um, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, which is also Sidney Lumet's last film as well. Uh, which of the I think I said before we started the recording of this podcast. Of the five Sidney Lumet films I've seen, it's the least good of those. It's still a very good film. Well, it's still a good film. I wouldn't go as far as saying very good. Uh, it's still a good film. But yeah, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Again, unsurprisingly, the best thing in it. Um, 
So it's worth watching for, for his performance. Uh, but yeah, the actual film that I want to talk about, uh, I've, you know, as I've mentioned on previous podcasts and on Twitter and on Letterboxd and on Facebook and all that, I uh, watched quite a lot of South Korean films, particularly uh, <laughs> over the last sort of month or two. And one of the most famous Korean directors is a guy called Lee Chang Dong, who was quite important very late in the 90s. He made some very, uh, this I mean, back in, in the 90s, Korean films, I don't think they overall were doing too well. And Lee Chang Dong came along and he made some that were uh, just before things like Shiri came out and, and uh, uh, Joint Security Area and all those. He made some films that were really different to what what people considered of Korean films, quite cerebral stories. And um, I mean, what I would compare, the, this is the only film I've seen. It's called Poetry. It was released in 2010. It's the only film of his I've seen. But it reminds me a little bit of Michael Haneke. You know, it's got that mm-hmm. same um, voyeuristic nature that we've talked about on, on his films, like a more um, and hidden where you're, you're almost peering in through somebody's curtains to see what it is they're doing. Only Michael Hanukkah's films, I, I get the impression he kind of hates the audience or he wants the audience to be offended by what he's doing and the sort of implications he's placing them on them. Uh, whereas this is just, poetry is just a very, very beautiful film. Um, but Lee Chang-dong, what happened to him? He took some time out from making films. He's only made, he's only directed five films, uh, but he became like a, a minister for culture for the South Korean government. Oh. So he's got quite a different perspective from your, in inverted commas, typical Korean film, if you like. Um, so, yeah, anyway, onto the actual film itself. Um, it's about an elderly grandmother. She's the guardian of um, a young, apathetic teenage grandson. Um, the kid's mom lives away in uh, Busan, I think they said, but... She gets on by she gets by on government uh, subsidies and she has a low paid part time home care job where she looks after this guy who's got um, a disability. Um, eventually, she kind of decides that she's going to enroll on a local poetry class. She, when she was a kid, she loved writing poetry. Her friends all think she should be good at it. Uh, her daughter says that she should sign up for it. So she does. Uh, only she really struggles to find any inspiration. At the same time. She has a few health scares. Uh, she has a weird like sensation in her arm, which she goes to see the doctor about, which she's quite worried about. But she also keeps forgetting words in the middle of sentences. Uh, she just can't remember what a word is. Very common words. And she's a little bit concerned about that. I think it's safe to say we all know when you watch that and what's happening mm-hmm. to her. It's sort of the onset of dementia, of Alzheimer's. Um, but she's almost kind of in denial about that. But she still wants to write poetry. She still wants to tell people what's in her heart, but she she can't figure out what's in her heart, what is what it is she wants to say. Uh, and also, <laughs> you've got a story that's going on with her grandson, um, who might be quite possibly is involved in, uh, he's implicated in uh, one of his local classmates, a young girl who's committed suicide. And him and a few of his friends are sort of possibly involved in that. So there's quite a lot going on already. Um, mm. Lots of different aspects to, to to sort of hook you in, if you like. But it's mainly about uh, Yang Mia, um, played by an actress called Yoon Jung Hee. I think that's how you pronounce her name. She's um, 
actually she she's pretty amazing she's a really talented actress but this film got her out of retirement uh, she was quite famous in career in the 60s, I think, 60s and 70s, when it was going through its major um, golden era in career. Mm. She was a really famous actress. She was really well respected. She she did retire, I think, in the 90s. But this drew her back out of retirement and it was totally worth it. She's, she just steals every scene. Um, yeah, so she's very good. She also looks great for us. I think she's 66 in the film. And you wouldn't right, tell. Yeah. It's just astonishing. But her level of performance is also just that of a really younger, energetic uh, actress. So, yeah, I was blown away by how good she is. But also the directing in it is everything that I'd expected from a Lee Chang-Tong film, everything I knew about his work. Um, it's just just beautiful. And it's really, it seems effortlessly graceful. The, the language in it and the dialogue... Uh, obviously it's been translated i don't speak korean but you know it's still the the way that everything moves it's very natural um and apparently one of his inspirations for this film was nature he was just watching a japanese documentary i think and it was just like shots of different things in nature with some soft music behind it and that's kind of what inspired him to do this and he started to think about a story that could go with it with this old lady um, and the things that are happening to her family, which is also inspired by real events, a story that he, he heard about. Um, and it just it just definitely seems natural. It seems everything is uh, occurring because that's how it's meant to. Uh, it doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel contrived. It doesn't feel like somebody has thought up a story and thought up twists and thought up events and then tried to shoehorn them into into a, a script. It, it's It's not like that at all. It's just really moving as well um how heartbroken uh, this old lady is her, her struggles and the things that her grandson's been accused of and it's just really involving it also i mean it's about two hours long the film um and i, I don't want to say that it, it feels like two hours but at 40 minutes in you feel like you've gotten 40 minutes worth of film already Right, and you yeah. just want to to continue getting more and more and more because there's so much in it that's most of it isn't spoken either. You're just relying on the performance and you're relying on uh, the actions of the characters and it. Yeah, I mean it's just um, like I say everything that I wanted to be, wanted it to be and everything that I kind of expected it to be. Um, so I'm definitely gonna seek out more of um, Lee Chang Dong's films. But if if anyone wants an entry point, this is as good as any. I can assume because mm. it's it's just just fantastic. Okay, uh, I think that rounds up uh, what we've been watching for now, uh, and we'll be back after a quick break with some uh, reviews of new releases. So our review of new releases or films that have been out for the last week or so probably longer than a week that you can actually see in the cinema now though because we only reviewed one last week um so these might not actually be strictly speaking new releases they're still pretty new though new yeah. newish releases yeah uh so we're going to start off with the oscar nominated uh it's not Oscar nominated for best film though sorry is it it's um no, best actress, it's, best got, it's got actress. acting noms yes yeah um i suppose it still is oscar nominated therefore i'm right and forget what i just said <laughs> <laughs> uh, August Osage County. Osage. 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 Yeah. Osage. <laughs> Potato. Osage. 
Yeah, osage. <laughs> potato, potato. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it is a film about a family that come together uh, around the uh, the father uh, as as death and suicide. Uh, here is a clip. What'd you do to your hair? I had it straightened. Why would anybody do that? Just wanted a change. You're a pretty girl. Why don't you wear makeup? Do I need makeup? Every woman needs makeup. Don't let anybody tell you different. The only woman pretty enough to go without makeup was Elizabeth Taylor. And she wore a ton. Shoulders are all slumped and your hair's all straight and don't wear makeup. You look like a lesbian. Wow. You could get a decent man if you would just spruce up a bit. That's all I'm saying. Your tongue is on fire. You supposed to be smoking? Is anybody supposed to smoke? Yeah, so that was a clip of August, uh, August Osage County or whatever you want to call Osage. it. Osage. <laughs> it's like Ice Age. <laughs> I'll call it what I want. Yes. Uh, uh, starring Meryl Streep, Julia Roberts and others. Uh, those are the two that have received uh, nominations for Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress, respectively. Um, so James, me and you are the ones that have seen it. Yeah. Uh, I think it's based on a play by Tracy Letts. Yeah. She, she wrote the screenplay for this as well. It, Tracy Letts is actually a man as well, just, just before we get too far into this. This is this is confusing because there's a man called Tracy who wrote this and a man called Beverly in the film and it's just yeah exactly <coughs> it's yeah. all over um, the place with names yeah Tracy Letts who also wrote the uh, play um, that was then turned into a film Killer Joe as well uh-huh. uh, so yes any, anyway um, I'll start off by saying I don't this isn't the kind of film I'd usually watch um, I don't think it's kind of marketed at the mid twenty single male I, w- no, I, I think we had yes. the same experience Steve yes I was comfortably the only man in the screening and the only under 40 possibly even under 50 I, I... oh I had a few elderly couples in mine including one bloke who decided to give his commentary during it that was uh, that was, just... that was nice of him you should have got him on the podcast yeah. it'd be better than <laughs> it'd be better than me <laughs> it'll make more, like, oh, it'll make more oh, sense one... than I will at a pivotal bit, like all of us, you know, someone reveals something because, oh, she didn't know that. Like, yeah, thanks. Thanks for that, you old dick. <laughs> um, yeah, it's one of those. I, I've said this before. I can't remember which film it was that I was talking about previously um, that attracted a load of these types as well. Possibly Nebraska. Yeah, I, 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 I found that this kind of film, like this, well, not this kind of film, but a film aimed more of an older audience, has because yeah. I had this problem with Les Mis as well. Yeah. Tends to have yeah, a, yeah. A, a worse behaved audience than something yeah. something like a Fast and Furious film where you'd expect it yeah. to be full of chavvy little wankers. I'll be honest, Kick Ass Two had a terrible audience as well. But this had per capita just as bad an audience. It's the extremes. Basically I only want people like me in the cinema. That's all <laughs> I, I don't want. care, I just want people to shut up. Well yeah, there's that as <laughs> That's well. All I anyway. Ask. Yeah. So, so we neither of us had a great experience with the audience. Well, no, no, but, the audience were, were generally fine in mine, except for they would, oh, you know, they would start with they were just, yeah, it just you could just get the impression from me being in fine. there that that film wasn't aimed at me. The old don't listen to podcasts. We can't yeah. insult them. It's... Yes, I don't. I don't know how to use a computer. Anyway, <laughs> um, what what did you think of the film? Do you know, I I quite liked it. I quite liked it. Um, 
you could tell it was based on a play. And although parts of it did kind of try and break out of the theatrical space that it obviously came from, because there's some plays that transfer to films and you think, well, what was the point in doing that? You know, because they are two different mediums and a direct translation sometimes can be really disappointing because what works really well on stage is the live, uh, the kind of anything could go wrong. And, you know, that kind of really spontaneous energy and the fact that you're in the room with those people. That's what works about theatre. What work, film is film is a medium of the moving image. And so if you all you're doing is filming people sat talking, then film you might as well have filmed the play and then stuck that up on screen. Um, but there is there's a bit it's not quite that bad uh, with this. Although uh, the director John Wells is a kind of a veteran of TV, he directed lots of episodes of ER. Um, and it, yeah, there's nothing hugely dynamic about the direction. Um, it, it, the story it's, it's just, oh, sorry, it's, Steve. it's more a film about the performances than yeah, uh, yeah i mean exactly. i mean i think we should probably say we could probably can and should say a bit more about about the plot other than kind of what i said in the introduction well yeah okay basically it's about uh an oklahoma family which have kind of again kind of grown up grown apart and so uh yeah a father dies uh, and the matriarch suddenly her daughters come back home and it is about how it, that again it's issues of family duty uh issues of feeling too good for an area that you lived in um and each of those daughters comes back with various different relationships and relatives and children in tow and those kind of re- yeah those relationships unravel during the course of this day i'll be it is a very 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 much a play you know i was watching it thinking yeah this is this is exactly the kind of thing that i've seen loads of times in the theater you know it's it it feels like a play simply through the actions of its characters and the language and so the thing that just about keeps it being of interest cinematically for me are the performances um you know meryl streep has been nominated for best actress in I'll be honest, there's a little bit of hamminess going on here. Uh, she's brilliant. She is brilliant. But in the same way that Al Pacino is brilliant in Heat and things like that, you know, she's a little bit hammy. Um, it, it's kind of a cross between her character in Devil Wears Prada and Patsy Stone from Ab Fab. Uh, with, I, I'm sure she'd hope that there was a little bit more seriousness there as well. Um, and, and she's she's very funny in it as well. Yeah, it, it, it is. It... It's not obviously an out-and-out comedy, but it's certainly no. funny parts of the. There's some great lines, yeah, and she's got most of them as well. And, and she and uh, she and she's she's very kind. Of the character, I mean, she plays she plays someone who's both a, a cancer sufferer and a drug addict. Yeah, brilliantly. Yeah. she she pulls. Oh, yeah, and, and, you know, the character as well, considering she's got all these problems, and for most of the films, she's high as a kite on drugs. Yeah. She she keeps saying, you know, that she, nothing gets by her. She's she's this is all knowing mother, all knowing entity who knows all the family secrets, can read everyone like a book, and and it proves right throughout the film. Yeah, but it's all it's yeah, ultimately it's, what what costs her. At the end. Yeah, and yeah, it's it's um yeah it's 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 
she's not the only good performance. And when I first saw the poster, I thought, oh my god, how many names are they going to try and fit on the poster? Because you know, just reading up, Julia Roberts, who is very good in this yeah. as well, and she doesn't she doesn't appear too much I mean, in films. I mean, I've, I've not seen too many Julia Roberts. I think the last film I saw her was probably Ocean's Twelve, where she played mm, Julia like, Julia Roberts played like someone Rob- who looked like Julia yeah. Roberts, who then had to pretend to be Julia Roberts. I think the most was very meta. In, uh, yeah, was uh, Charlie Wilson's War, which uh, written by Aaron Sorkin, and uh, also features Philip Seymour Hoffman in a big role there as well. So that's quite interesting. But yeah, um, no, she just, was in that. But, can I just yeah. just butt into the conversation there for a minute? Because Steve's name brought up Ocean's Twelve. I haven't yeah. seen uh, Osage, Osage, Osage County. Because, Osage. Yeah. There we go. Got there in the end. Um, partly because I thought from the trailer. It looked like horrendously smug. And one of the films that reminded me of from the trailer, but you know, bear in mind I haven't actually seen the film itself, it was Ocean's Twelve in that horrible, smug, up itself sort of way. Ah, right. Now this this no. feels totally different from the it's a group of mates who've got together and had a smug laugh yeah. amongst them. It's totally different. No, this feels like a proper this feels like a lot of actors who've got okay. together. And are being very actorly. Now, again, that still will rub some people up the wrong way. Because, um, like I say, it's, it's very theatrical in its staging and in its performances. However, I think the story is interesting enough to keep it going. And 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 there's genuinely some proper acting performances here. You know, Chris Cooper's in it. He, Chris Cooper's fan. I like it. I like him he, a lot. He, anyway. he is fantastic. very good in this as well as as yeah. one of the supporting yeah. characters. He's kind of, exactly uh, um, const- constantly trying to be like a voice of reason and sense in a yeah. in a madhouse. Yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, he does that really nice. Yeah, he actually plays the kind of more laid back person, which you don't quite you don't often see from Chris Cooper in films. So that was quite nice. Um, Dermot Mulroney plays this kind of trashy yuppie esque. Uh, boyfriend well fiance of juliette lewis who is brilliant in this and i'm so happy to see juliette lewis back uh on screen she's she's utterly great in this this will um, as one of the flighty younger sisters yeah who, who kind of is straight away from when you see her you want her to shut up but that's kind of yeah. that's that's not because it's a bad character or bad performance she's no. playing an irritating woman yeah and she, and exactly. she does it very well is it this will take away from a serious discussion about a serious film but Dermot Dirk, Mulrooney, throughout the film, yeah. I just thought that's an older, taller Richard Hammond. <laughs> and that, I'm glad you didn't tell me that before. Because <laughs> uh, that, that would have taken away from it, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, obviously, Benedict Cumberbatch is in it because he's uh, he's contractually obliged to be in all films at the moment. Yeah. Um, and, and, but he's good, a uh, good accent. I, I liked him yeah, in better, it. Better um, accent than the other Brit in this film. Then yeah, Ewan McGregor's accent is. Uh, Ewan McGregor. Now again, I like Ewan. McGregor. I don't. I don't think he was bad in this film. I don't think anyone was bad in this film. No. But but, but I just didn't. Was. Yeah, it was all over the place. Uh, and apparently Tracy Letts wasn't happy when John Wells started casting British people to play Americans because it was meant to be all it's meant to be a very all American play. But you you know you have got Benedict Cumberbatch, you have got Ewan McGregor. Their accents to varying different degrees, but Ewan McGregor puts in a good performance. Um, Abigail Breslin uh, as the the stroppy teenager, she she's great as well. Sam Shepard as uh, Beverly, the man who uh, you know causes uh, this whole and, family and he, to and he's, come he's together. Only, he's only in the opening scene. Mm. Um, 
kind of pre-credit scene, as it yeah. were, and and that scene is is excellent. With, yeah, ju- with yeah. just with just him, uh, Meryl Streep's character Violet, and and the kind of in-house living carer they end up hiring. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, what I would say, yeah, if if you like your if you like to watch actors at work, it's definitely worth a look. It's you know, it oh, bits of it you start going, oh god, this is getting really it like there's moments where you go, this is getting really tedious, and then something electrifying will happen on screen, and it, it will just jolt you right back into watching it. And it's just a shame it doesn't quite keep up that consistency the whole yeah, way. Yeah, I, I did find that you know towards the end it did start to drag a bit because you felt the arguments that the family were having, it's not really a spoiler to say there's arguments in yeah. the film about family, but the the yeah. arguments they were having just seemed to go round in circles. Or a lot they of them were a little bit repetitive. Yeah. Although the last 15, 20 minutes is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And that, you know, uh, there, again, there is a bomb, there helps. is a bombshell drop. There is a grenade thrown in there. Not literally. Think, you know, <laughs> some, some people will think that I only go to watch a film because there's explosions. So no, there wasn't a literal grenade. A metaphorical grenade was thrown in the room. And, and as, you know, and that's because it's based on a play. You know, it's exactly you watch it and go, yeah, I've I've seen this structure. Anyone who's been to the theatre or you know, I did theatre studies when I was younger, so yeah, that's a bit of my background. Now, it is it is very much the archetypal um, family get together. Clearly, it's not going to go well. Oh, here comes the big bombshell type. Of, you know, it it it's quite archetypal in that sense uh and it's quite run of the mill in that sense and i don't think it's an incredibly amazing play um so what does lift it here is the performances and i do i I don't think either meryl streep or julia roberts are going to win either of their categories at the oscars but i think it's i think it's fair enough they got nominated yeah definitely definitely fair nominations um and I suppose we'll have to wait and see. You know, sometimes the academy throw a curveball at you. And so, so, Never yeah. know. And it's Streep. They they do love yeah, a Yeah, she she is kind of Oscar gold, isn't she? Yes, exactly. Um. Anyway, that's that's all for that film. Then I'm not even going to try and pronounce it again because I'll do it wrong. <laughs> I'm still going to just keep calling it Osage County. I like that. Osage. <laughs> but it, but it, it but it is definitely worth watching, even though it doesn't kind of. It might not look like your kind of film, but it's definitely definitely worth a watch. Yeah, uh, I, I'm, as I'm as I think, spoiler alert, we might be about about to find out there are certainly worse films you could yeah. spend your money. Mm-hmm. But I mean, cinema. but I mean, if it, if this wasn't Oscar nominated, I wouldn't have gone to see it because I'm trying to see yeah. all of the ones. And that would have been a shame. Yeah, yeah. But it's, you know, it's typically not the kind of film I'd I'd watch. But it you know it was good. Um, yeah. We're getting closely towards. Uh, probably the best review we've ever had on this podcast. Well, build it yeah, up. But wow. in, in between, in between that, uh, between Osage County, Osage, Ice Age County, <laughs> August <laughs> Ice Age, August, August Ice Age. That's a sequel, that's a sequel be... worth seeing, isn't it? Yeah, that is. That's that's like the day after tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, yes, we've now got James reviewing uh, Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit. Yeah, um, I'm not going to spend a huge amount of time on this. I went down to London last week and I was going to try and go and watch the the Great Beauty at the Prince Charles Cinema, but I misread the the listings and I I saw 150 minutes and in my mind translated that to one hour fifty. It's obviously not. It's two and a half hours. And I didn't have time to watch that. So I went to the BFI IMAX for the first time ever, biggest screen in the country, um, which was interesting. And I kind of 
feel like I wasted it a little bit by going to see Jaguar and Shadow mm. Recruit on it because Gravity was back on the week after, which I would have been nice to have seen on the IMAX. But um, what I would, uh, those of you who don't know, uh, Jack Ryan is the Tom Clancy um, creation, the kind of US Secret Service intelligence agent, which has uh, been portrayed in the past by Harrison Ford in a couple of films, including Patriot Games and I can't remember the name of the other one. Yeah, anyway, okay. uh, they, they were pretty good. Um, uh, ben Affleck in The Sum of All Fears, not a good film. And also Alec Baldwin, because Jack Ryan appears in The Hunt for Red October. Um, so this is kind of like, it's almost it's like Americans, the closest America's got to Bond, which is a bit sad, really, because it's really not that good. Um, but yeah, he's a covert CIA analyst. And, analyst and as is the trend with all franchises these days obviously we have to do the reboot and we have to go back and find out how he became jack ryan um and so he's a covert cia analyst who ends up going undercover on his first mission uh ordered to by his boss played by kevin costner who's starting to get a few more roles now he did people have forgiven him for uh the paper man paper man <laughs> the postman the paper man was Terrible sequel about a man who went round an apocalyptic wasteland delivering an evening paper. Um, but yeah, Waterworld and the Postman. That he's got, he's been forgiven. He's let back. He's been let back in. He was in Man of Steel last year. He's in this. Um, Kira Knightley stars as Jack Ryan's girlfriend, and it's directed by Kenneth Branagh and also stars Kenneth Branagh as the the Russian bad guy. And we seem to have gone back to having Russian bad guys. Uh, the 80s all over again. So Kenneth Branagh. Plays Victor Sherevin. So, we, so um, we've got a Russian bad guy played by a Brit. Yeah, played by a that's Brit. All we, that's um, all you want. That's all you want, exactly. Although it is a little bit, is he Russian or is he the meerkat from the Go uh, Compare the Market adverts? It is utterly bizarre. Oh, anyway, yeah, we've got a clip for this. Uh, should we play it, Steve? Yeah, let's, let's play it. Play that clip. You stick to the scheduled audit tomorrow. Everything official, everything in public. You'll be fine. I need for you to be fine. You know, you sold this as an office job. You're not just an analyst anymore. You're operational now. Uh, yeah, so that that was actually uh, that was Costner and, uh, and Chris Pine there. Uh, did I even mention it was Chris Pine playing Jack Ryan? This is you know, I, the reason I've not I sound completely unprepared for this review is because you know oh, the film it was decent enough, but it really doesn't deserve much of my time. I'll be honest. It's, if you've ever been um, uh, f- filled in a feedback form um, and you've just ticked three, neither agree nor disagree, all the way down your feedback. That's what this film is. That's That would have been my feedback form for this. It would have been threes down there. It did everything it needed to half decently. It was uh, less than two hours long. It had a few decent action set pieces. It had a Brit, as you say, it had a Brit playing a, a European bad guy. And in the end, it all turned out pretty much as you expected it to. Um my life is no better for having seen it, but I wouldn't say it's any worse for having seen the film. It's perfectly adequate, but who, 
do you really want to go to the cinema and watch Perfectly Adequate? I said, you're not going to have a terrible time watching Jack Ryan. I don't think so, anyway. It's decent enough, but um, oh, it's just so ordinary. It's just so ordinary. It, it really reminds me of those late 80s, early 90s thrillers that just pop up on ITV4 at 9 o'clock, and you just sit there and go, yeah. It just literally washes through your face. Um and at the end, you go, I, I, I'm still not quite sure I understood what was going on there, but I kind of was just about able to follow who the good guys were, who the bad guys were. Yeah, that'll do. Um, that, that's about all I can manage for it. I, its box office hasn't gone very well at all, so I think Jack Ryan has been killed off again as a franchise. When will they give up on it? I have no idea. Um, yeah, and the other thing as well, Chris Pine, Apart, I've quite liked him in the Kirk in, as Kirk in the uh, Star Trek films, but beyond that, I, I don't, I don't quite get him being a Hollywood star. I'll be honest, he's not got a lot of charisma. To, so, which is interesting because I think he does Kirk quite well, uh, and Kirk's meant to be a very character. But in every other film I've seen him in, um, the worst one being uh, This Means War, which is mm. utter abomination of a film, and he is terrible in it. Um, so yeah, Chris Pine's still getting work. Don't know why. A lot of people will say the same about Kira Knightley as well. She's all right in this. Um, the best things about this film actually are Kevin Costner and um, Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> hello, Mr. Lyon. Kind of thing. Um, it is hello. <laughs> um, so yeah, they're the best things about the film. Um, yeah, don't, don't bother spend it. Like I say, I can't say it's a bad film, but don't bother going to the cinema to see it. Just wait till it ends up on Netflix or whatever. Okay. Well, not too far away from us, James, is somebody who would have loved to have seen Perfectly Adequate at the cinema. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. That man is Owen Hughes, and he saw I, Frankenstein. Uh, Before he goes and tears this film a new one, here's a clip. Nibirius has found a way to summon every demon you've ever descended. What? Possession. In bodies that have no souls. Only the dead have no souls. What is the use of possessing a corpse? There is none. Unless you can animate that corpse. Tiberius has been planning this for centuries. Victor Frankenstein just made it possible. There we go. That was a clip of I, Frankenstein. Owen, go. Okay. (laughs) Um... (laughs) Right, okay, well, I'm just going to start and just put a disclaimer in here, okay? I am pretty much going to redate my review that I've written verbatim. Um, Just if it seems a bit odd, it's because I'm just reading it. So that's what I'm going to do. Yes, I, Frankenstein is one of the worst films I have ever seen and uh, certainly the worst film I've ever endured at a cinema. Um, it's gonna soon enough. It's gonna be joining Van Helsing, uh, you know, Blade Trinity, and the Underworld sequels on ITV2's monthly rota. Uh, it's just, it's all the worst things about Van Helsing, about Brothers Grimm, about League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and they're all sewn together and presented with a huge ta-da fanfare because it's that's all it is. It's just the worst bits of those films put together. Um. Yes, okay, so it opens with a short skim-through of the whole of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein through the book, the original story. Uh, Like, you know, this underpaid, overworked, underperforming bellend of an English literature. 
who's rushing through all the major plot points. So you've got, you know, Frankenstein's a scientist. Uh, he meddled in sciences he shouldn't have. Then he created life out of these old body parts. He put them together. But then the monster killed his wife. Uh, and then he died chasing the creature, etc., etc. Whatever. Who cares? Come on. Let's see where the gargoyle, the gargoyles are and they're fighting demons. Isn't this amazing? This is brilliant. And so forth. And it's just, you know, I don't mind that they skip through the, the essential part of the story about who Frankenstein is and who Frankenstein's monster is and why he behaves the way he does. I don't so much mind that because there's tons of stuff about Frankenstein that's written, you know, from a book that was written over 200 years ago. Mm. Um, but it's just, it's the fact that the rest of the film seems so unbothered with telling you a story about him or why he he's now who he is. Uh, it just continues like that. I mean, it's just so choppy. It's just one like one long trailer sequence. If you've seen the trailer... If you've seen how it just cuts from scene to the next scene and it cuts again to the next scene, then it cuts to the next scene with all this big music in the background and things flying at you in the screen. That is it. That's the film. That's just exactly what the whole film is like. Is that what they've they just taken out two minutes from the film yeah. and then gone, here you go. That's what all print, they might as well have done, yeah. I know there was um, an article on, was it The Guardian recently, about um, some cinemas complaining that trailers are no yes. spoiling film. Well... If there's any evidence of that being a problem, <laughs> you know, like Frankenstein is just the film in the trailer. And to be honest, it's not even worth watching the two minute long trailer. Um, yeah, like I say, if I've ever seen a worse film at the cinema in my entire life, and I'm including last year's Runner Runner, which I really hated, and wow. things I saw as a kid like Batman and Robin, and stuff like Spider-Man 3 and Transformers over the past few years... If I've seen a worse film in the cinema, including those, then I Frankenstein, then I just don't recall it. It is without a doubt one of the most stupid films conceived. Um, and not just because of the plot, which is about these gargoyles and demons that have been raging this war for centuries and humans are just completely unaware of it. And I don't mean gargoyles, by the way, the stone things that sit on buildings and then they come alive and chase these demons. Oh, okay. They're, they're right. That's, okay. That's yeah. an interesting way to go. That's right. Um, but, you know, it's not just that, but it's this thing that humans are unaware of it. So at one point, you've got Frankenstein, the monster, who's called Adam Frankenstein. By the way. Which I think is supposed to be like a clever nod to, you know, the whole modern Adam. Prometheus story and he's now yeah. Adam uh, as in Adam. It just sounds like they did. They nearly called him Ian Frankenstein. <laughs> like that. Yeah. Which I Frankenstein. Maybe. But there's stuff like he's admonished at one point for seeking out a demon. He goes on a hunt for demons. He's sick of running away from them for 200, 300 years. He's going to go and find them and kill them before they get him. Um, and then the gargoyles, who are the good guys, say, no, no don't, don't do that because, you, you know, that's dangerous. People, humans might suddenly be aware of our existence. You know, how reckless of Frankenstein to do something like that. So then, like, in scenes where you've got, like, hordes of these flying gargoyles over the city that are just in the night sky flying around, you know, beams of light shoot off them. There's a massive building where they all, like, converge and fly out the top of instead of walking through the doors trying to be conspicuous. Instead of that, no, that's fine. That's all right. Nobody has to say anything about that. That's not an error at all, you know. Mankind won't be aware of these giant flying stone monsters. No, that's fine. Uh, Jesus. And the gargoyles are the good guys. Gargoyles are the good guys, yeah. Weird. Yeah. Okay. They're some kind of like angels that 
uh, are on Earth protecting humanity from these demons. Jesus. So. And who's in it again, Owen? Who's in it? Oh, you've got um, Aaron Eckhart plays Adam Frankenstein. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and you've got people like Bill Nye is the main demon guy. Of course he's it. Now I love Bill Nye. I love yeah. Bill Nye bits, but of course he's fucking. Yeah. In of course. <laughs> Jay Courtney, who was here. I, I mean, I think he's alright. I liked him in Jack Reacher, and I, he wasn't the worst thing about Die Hard Five. Um, and then you've also got Yvonne Strahovski, who's an Australian actress, but she's probably going to be most famous to people for her, her role in Dexter, the TV show. Okay. So she was in the latter seasons of Dexter. But, you know, they, I like them individually. Aaron Hedcott was, I thought he was really good in The Dark Knight. He plays, um, you know, Two-Face. That yeah. Probably no, he's good. I, I like him in a, quite a few things, yeah. actually. Yeah. So he's a good actor. Not in this, though, because all of them together are terrible. They, I, Like I say in my review... They just come together like a spoonful of whatever's at the bottom of your food waste bin. Things that once were quite nice, but mixed together and left in this pile of shit. They're just awful. All of them. Absolutely terrible performances from every single one of them. Uh, but I don't it... know what Bill Nighy's doing in it. I, you know, I know that he turns up in some of these crappy films occasionally, but the, what is he doing? Honestly. What, what, what was it Michael Caine said about Jaws 12 or whatever he was in? Terrible yeah, film, but paid for my house, or you know. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Probably that's what. Probably yeah, because he he was. Could who directed this then, and what what? Who? Yeah, okay. It's a guy um called Stuart Beatty who. Uh, right. If I could tell you a film of his, I would. But I think he's yeah. he's m- mainly known for being a writer rather than a director. Okay. Right. Um. So I think he's been involved. Like G.I. Joe: Rise of the Cobra was one that he wrote. Which is the, the wow. bad one. That's the awful one. That's wow. One. Yeah. So this is the kind of level we're dealing with. It's no you know, better than that in terms of... What's going on? Because it's a bit like football. Like Once you become a football manager, like it, you can you can just turn up at any club and they go, well, he's been a football man. Is that what's happened with Stuart? They've gone, well, he's written a film before, so we'll we'll, we'll let him write I mean, some he's more. He's got writing credits. Just checking IMDb while I'm on... Cause yeah. I just didn't even bother looking too much into him because I just couldn't stand the movie. He's also yeah. written things like the Pirates of the Caribbean films, the sequels. Uh, oh, the sequels are terrible yeah. as well, yeah. So... You know, he's not got a huge pedigree, but I guess he makes films that make money, so... Yeah. Although, apparently, this is bombing. Yeah, good. I'm hearing this is bombing. The other thing, because I was going to try and go and watch this today, because simply so you'd, you'd have <laughs> someone to back you yeah. up. Um, and and it turned out I could only watch it in 3D. Um, yeah. Which, and I didn't know that, so I hadn't taken my glasses with me. So I would have ended up having to buy a new pair of glasses... And also pay the 3D. It would have taken it up to. My, I was planning to pay six quid, and it would have taken it up to about a tenner. I thought, oh, no, sod that. I'm not going to do that. Um, but that, you know, I'll be honest. I didn't mind that so much for Dread, having to watch it in 3D. But if if you're gonna force feed 3D down our throats with a terrible film like this, I, I hope the bloody format dies. It's not even a good three, you know, good three. Yeah. It, it, you know, like you mentioned, Dread, and yeah. um, I thought Prometheus looked good in 3D, yeah. and Gravity is obviously in the exception, yeah. and it just looks fantastic. But exactly. in this, it's just one of these, I don't know whether it's was filmed in 3D, but it, it has I the... Bet it, I bet it was post-conversion. I it reckon, sounds cheap. Yeah. 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 Um, but it, it looks terrible as well. 
Um, but there's other things that are problems with it besides the way it looks. Um, expositional dialogue is sort of a bugbear of our podcast, I think. Mm. It's fair to yeah. say. It is horrendous. Yeah. And it's, nobody says anything that is not expositional dialogue at all. Right. And, at any point. Yeah. That's what I got from that clip, actually, that we played. That's exactly what I got from that clip is it's just it's about three or four people who just go and then this happens. And well, that means this is going to yeah. happen. Oh, OK. Well, we better do this. Yeah. Go and do that. Yeah. That, that, and that's just what I got from a 30 second clip. That's what it's that, that's everything. That's wow. all the whole, whole film. Of, wow. A whole film of it. Yeah. Was, Jesus. One one redeeming feature. Any any good point. Anything. I had fun spotting continuity errors. That was quite fun. There you go. Yeah, uh, stuff. I mean, but it's just such obvious shit as well. Normally, and, it's and obviously, the... the film ended. That was obviously a plus point for you. That was a plus point. Yeah. Did you see any nice trailers? Uh. No, no, I don't think so. The film was so bad it wiped your memory of what happened before it. By the um, imagine, imagine if you woke up tomorrow. And you were stuck in a Groundhog Day type situation on the day that you went to see this <laughs> oh film. Oh my god! <laughs> Jesus Christ! No! Oh no! No! I can't. That would. Some... I, well, if it, actually, though, thinking about it, if it's Groundhog Day, you don't have to go and see the same. Just don't go and watch it. Just don't yeah. do it. <laughs> I know what to expect. I won't do it. I'll go and learn piano for however many years it was supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, I think that will bring to a close our review of new releases. Uh, what have we got next week? I believe it's Dallas Buyers Club, among others. Yeah, uh, sorry, yeah, sorry, I was just, I was miles away then. I was thinking about <laughs> when I might be able to go and see I Frankenstein. Um, yeah, <laughs> next week it's Dallas, uh, Dallas, Dallas, Dallas Buyers Club. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's uh, August Dallas Buyers Club. Um, it RoboCop as well, yes. the RoboCop remake, and um, and also next week is our 100th episode. Um, I've no idea how we're going to celebrate, but is it the Lego maybe... Movie as well? By the way, no, that's the week after, which oh, is an incredible okay. week. Uh, the the week after is uh, Lego Movie, uh, which I'm hearing fantastic yeah. reviews for make me very happy her the new spike mm-hmm. jonesy film the monuments men the new george clooney film and also cuban fury the uh, mm-hmm. new nick frost film yeah. which i've heard actually is quite a nice sweet british comedy so that could be a really nice week uh, and i think i've unofficially designated that comedy special <laughs> unofficially uh, we'll be we'll be back uh, after a little break again just with some recommendations for next week Uh, quickly then, before we go on to what we're recommending for you to watch, we forgot about Lone Survivor. Um, <laughs> yeah, easy uh, to and do. And James couldn't be bothered to edit this back into the proper place, so we're doing it now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> sort of professional as ever. Yeah, so luckily a couple of people did go and see it. Also, Out of the Furnace was out this week, which I've heard very meh things about and no one bothered to tell us what it was like so i'm just gonna say uh at shorky 1969 said that lone survivor was intense with some seriously good action scenes great score solid cast enjoyed it a lot he gave it four out of five and um uh at mbc uk martin cross also said that lone survivor was excellent so it might be worth having a look at it it hasn't piqued my interest i'll be honest 
Um, but well, I, I've, the fact that it's a spoiler in the title kind of annoys me. <laughs> like already. I just told James and I off air that it was because of the dick narrating the trailer that put yeah. me off. You know, Weird little things. Oh, I've, I've done all this and I've done all that, and you shouldn't live life half out. Oh, fuck off. Yeah, well, well, don't join the army then. Yeah. You know, <laughs> go out and live your life, you yeah. bloody idiot. Anyway, that's just annoyed any of our army listeners. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, let's move on. Yeah, uh, my recommendation is on Thursday night on uh, Five USA. Uh, it's Snatch starting at ten o'clock. Uh, Guy Ritchie's. I suppose second big film after Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. One I've not seen for a long time, but one that is excellent. I, I just want to say, I, I'm sure Snatch is... I know I've seen it. Okay, it, Snatch is a decent film. Um, its continued place in the IMDb Top 250 is one of the things that most irks me about that list. That's all. So I'll say that. There's some fucking great films not in there. And Guy Ritchie has two films in that top 250 and it irks me. But it is a decent film. I think it's Sorry. a really good film. It's, yeah. a lot of, it's very good. You know, it's a good, it's a good plot. Like his, I've, I haven't really liked much of the stuff he's done since Snatch, but Snatch and Lockstock and yeah. Two Smoking Barrels, both, both really witty, both quite funny, both got a good plot and story that, you know, all ties together nicely at the end. With, with some, you know, they're, they're enjoyable films. They're good films. But mm, since, yeah. since, but since that, he's been a bit wank. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry, that that's just me <laughs> grumpy. What, what, it's, it's got late and I'm grumpy. What are you sorry. bloody recommending then? That's so okay, good. Uh, well, okay, I'm going to recommend uh, just to finish off the podcast in terms of you know themes that we've had. Um, Capote, uh, the Philip Seymour Hoffman film that he won his Oscar for. It's available on UK Netflix, uh, and it's a it's a really interesting film actually. It's not not one of the best films ever made, um, and it's one of those films which basically its central performance makes it. And weirdly, Philip Seymour Hoffman, who's always seemed like a bear of a man in most of the films he's in, somehow transforms on screen to become this very small, uh, tiny voiced. But it's it's a real kind of transformation and one of the most chameleon-like performances of uh, Hoffman's career, and it's the one he won the Oscar for. So that's available on UK Netflix. Okay, and Owen. Uh, okay, the film I'm going to recommend is the first film in a series of films, a season of films on uh, film four, um, and it starts with Yojimbo on Thursday, the sixth of February at eleven a.m. Um, which is uh, a part of the Akira Kurosawa uh, season. So if you've um, you know seen things like Seven Samurai or Rashomon, it's him. It's his films they're showing. So Yojimbo is the first film that was uh, remade famously as A Fistful of Dollars with Clint Eastwood mm-hmm. by Sergio Leone. Um, but then the following week they're showing Sanjuro, and then the following week is The Hidden Fortress, and then Throne of Blood, and then uh, first week of March is Ikaru, which is the one of his films I've been trying to get hold of for a long time, so I'm really looking forward to that. But yeah, starts with the Jimbo on Thursday, so that's that's my recommendation. Your Jimbo's a quality film. Lovely, love your Jimbo. Yeah, great film. I know I'm looking forward to that actually. Um, because I've I've barely seen any I've seen Yojimbo and I've seen Seven Samurai so uh, have you not seen Rashomon? No, you don't no. Remember I've, heard such, Rashomon. I've heard such good things about Rashomon, uh, but I've not seen it yet. And I've not seen uh, Ram. Yeah, um, yeah. So no, I'm looking forward to these definitely. 
There's a great Simpsons joke about Rashomon. Okay. So, yeah, probably won't make sense. There usually to you is. Not it. Yeah, but he's... I I know the plot of the film, okay. but I, yeah. Homer's, I think Homer says to March that uh, he didn't like Rashomon, and then March says, "Are you sure? I thought you liked it." He says, "Not. That's not how I remembered it." Because the whole film. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's clever. No, yeah. I like that. Yeah. Very good. Excellent. Uh, that's all for this week's podcast then. Uh, we'll be back around the same time next week um, with our 100th podcast. We'd like to thank you all for listening and anyone who's contributed to the podcast or site. And we'll catch you in a week. There's only one thing I value in this world, Stephen, and that's loyalty. And without it, you are nothing. And you have no one. I am a writer, a doctor, a nuclear physicist, a theoretical philosopher. But above all, I am a man. I whip it up, I wrap it around its neck, and I wrestle. Wrestle! Are you thoughtless in your remarks? Is your life a struggle? Is your behavior erratic? Do your past failures bother you? Do you often think about how inconsequential you are? All humans are imperfect. Everyone's lives are like a very long sidewalk. Some are well-paved. Others, like mine, have cracks, banana skins... A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Cool name. Yeah, I can't, that's what, it, true, I can't yeah. remember what it is, but it's. It's not something like Noah or Moses, but it's you know one of the one of the second tier Bible characters. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, it... Europa League Bible characters. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. So knowing, uh, it, I I'll be honest, I didn't rewatch it this week. Uh, I didn't I didn't have that much dedication to the cause, but I I did see it probably about eighteen months ago. I think it was for the first time, and it has stuck in my head as being one of the the 10 worst i would say the 10 worst kind of hollywood films because i've seen some absolute dreck mm. like that has been made for no money but this was a big budget hollywood film with the and i'd say it's in the top 10 of those films in terms of being the worst a utterly terrible film mm. that actually made me angry none of it made any sense there's that and there's, and there's yeah. one point where nicholas cage's character is talking to the daughter, right in the film, there's a girl 50 years ago who um, somehow predicts, writes down a load of numbers that goes in the time capsule, ends up being a prediction of the future. And there's one point in the film where Nicolas Cage is explaining this to the, the woman's daughter you know, 50 years on, and Nicolas mm. Cage looks confused. <laughs> he looks confused doing his lines, like, what the fuck am I talking about? Yeah. yeah. Like, this, this doesn't make any sense. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's it, it, it's a terrible script. Um, terror, pretty ropey effects as well. So, yeah, there's um, ones that were, without going into too much detail with really poor like CGI yeah. fire. And you think yeah. that was obviously fake, just so blindingly obvious. Yeah, and and as I said to uh, to Owen before before this challenge was even laid down. Um, I'm a huge Nick Cage. This is the one Nick Cage film where I've seen Nick Cage not even be good. And to me, that that's the sign of a, a terrible film. That's the sign of the coming of the apocalypse. Nick Cage is always 
entertainment in a film, in my opinion. Yeah, well, you've not um, seen Ghost Rider too, so I've not seen. I, I find I'm still find it difficult to believe that he's bad in that film. He is. No, oh, he's playing oh, it like God. a teenager, but he looks about sixty years old in it. It's very but, strange. But, no, but <laughs> none of the film makes sense. The whole plot doesn't make sense. From from these angels that um uh, that I'm not I don't care if I spoil it for people because you shouldn't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> well, these, okay. these, these angels that are aliens that save the kids at the end and take them to some other planet and leave them there if they can predict the future 50 years ahead why don't they just rescue everyone 50 years ago yeah, there, there's a lot of honest there's, there's not, it's, not, it's not like some film where they go right well all you adults are bad because you've made the human race horrible and bad and evil and wars and everything but we're going to save the yeah. kids because you know kids are the future there's no kind of message like that in it it's just and how can they predict like, you know, I get how they could predict like a natural disaster, like the sun blowing up, like it does in the film. How can they predict the plane crash? And what's the point of that? Well, the sun doesn't blow up for a start. Well, you know, <laughs> I'm, just... yeah, I know, but I'm, bit, you know, it might as well do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just a solar flare, which just goes back to the point that you, you're making about how could they predict that? Something that's completely yeah. random and unpredictable. Worse, worse, worse science than, than 2012 and the day after tomorrow. Because there's no, there's no element of time travel or anything like no. that. It's just they kind of know. Yeah, hence the name Which of the is, film. Which comes obviously. back to the whole um, the religious, religious side of it, and it's all yeah, famous. it's kind of faith and uh, that that is the impression I got from it. It was kind of like tr- I think trying to argue with the film. Is like trying to argue with a fundamentalist Christian. Uh, you just you just banging your head up against the wall, and it kind of keeps going. Yeah, but that's the truth, yeah. kind of thing. So that I think that's the issue. Oh, fucking terrible. Yeah, I don't really know um, much about Alex Poyas, the director. Um, mm. Obviously, you know, I've seen a few of his films, like uh, I Robot is probably his most famous one, which mm. it, it has its problems. It's not bad. It's not bad. It's not a bad film. It's, a, it's, a, it's just one big advert, but it's you know it's okay. It's enjoyable enough. It's better than knowing. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely better. <laughs> well, yeah. He, he also did The Crow, didn't he? Which is a huge yeah. cult film. Which I, I really like The Crow. Yeah, but you know, with this, I don't know. I don't know <laughs> Owen does I'm not, not particularly keen on The Crow. Although I did see it first as a moody teenager, so maybe that helps. Yeah, I I saw it as a like quite a young teenager, and I thought, oh, it's it's pretty cool, I guess. And then when I saw it again when I was a bit older, I was like, no, this is just really cheesy and awful. <laughs> but knowing it, there's there's just something there about the the religious side of it which okay i get that it's like i said it's been symbolic about very various different aspects of of what religion means to people and you know how you can have a god and being all knowing again because that's in the the title of the film knowing but (laughs) hey that's the title yeah but um it's just just a very strange confused film i think he's got a point to make but i don't think he knows what he's trying to say and that comes across in the actual film mm, yeah in, in many respects nobody knows what the point is in more way than one yeah right yeah. now after that i, I just want to say are, are we are we going to have a bit of a cold war now are we going to have a detente or are we going to escalate this until there's no one left standing because this could get this could get painful if we continue <laughs> along at this route that we have chosen i i don't know Oh, <laughs> oh God! We just have to you wait. You are the Kim what... Jong Il of this podcast. <laughs> we just have to wait and see what pops into Steve's head next time he runs the, the oh, quiz. Jesus Christ! Yeah, I, I've, no. I've I've got a plan. Should I win? And it's 
Okay. It'll be revealed if I win. Is it to finally watch the final member as well, you bloody Welch? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> it's just the arrogance. Is it again? <laughs> Steve is North Korea. <laughs> I'm no. Well, anyway. Yes. Get on with it. Okay. All right. Okay. So yeah, on with the quiz then. So who am I describing <coughs> from these films? And I'm going to start with a film called Blind Dating in 2006. Still a black. <laughs> Sadly not. <laughs> Um, also in 2006, Smoking Aces. Uh, Owen. Yes. Uh, Jason Statham? No. Is he in Smoking Aces? I can't remember. He's... It's a Guy Ritchie film, isn't it? No. I'm, not, I'm getting it wrong. Confused. Smoking Aces. Uh, no, it's oh, not a Guy Ritchie huh? film. It's the one about a load of, um, uh, hitmen who descend on Las Vegas and a right. magician and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. Steve. Yes. Jerry Piven. No, nice guess though. Oh. Yeah, because Jerry Piven is in that. Yeah. Okay. Um, in 2008, Bottle Shock. I don't think I've heard of Bottle Shock. No. Okay. I am. I'm just warning you. I am now missing out a big film here, uh, and I'm moving on to a film called Small Town Saturday Night in 2010. It's a long title. <laughs> Don't know. Never okay, it. also in 2010, Unstoppable, or The Train That Wouldn't oh, Slap. Owen, Steve. Owen. Owen was uh, in first. Bruce Willis. No, was he in... wasn't even in Unstoppable. 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 Oh, for fuck's sake. I'm that having a nightmare Steve, Steve, Steve's in there, yes. Steve. Uh, Chris Pine. Correct. Oh, <laughs> the toss-up between Chris Pine and Denzel, and it wasn't Denzel. Yeah, I left out Star Trek. Yeah. Uh, yes, and it was then going to be Celeste and Jesse forever. If it was Denzel, it would have been a lot longer than 2006, the first one. Well, I, didn't know, right. I didn't know he was in Spoken Age. Owen, were you thinking of Unbreakable? Well, yeah. See, I'm having yeah. another one of these family guy, modern family moments, aren't I? Yeah. <laughs> so Steve goes 1-0 up, and we are one week closer <laughs> to the unveiling of Steve's master plan. What did you think of the train that couldn't slow down? Do you know what? I I kind of liked it. It wasn't it a was, great film. It was a silly action film that was a you know. It was it was a Tony Scott film. <laughs> it was ridiculous. It had stupid action, but um, it, it had was... two quite charming leads and I saw it. It was it was one hour forty five minutes. I didn't regret it was, put it that it was, way. It was pretty inoffensive, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I didn't mind it actually. I, it was it was decent. It enough. wasn't knowing. No, exactly <laughs> right. if you're gonna have a dumb action film, you'd prefer that dumb action film to be directed by Tony Scott. Put it that way. Yeah, I think that's a fair, yeah. fair comment. Uh, on to the news now. Um, only one real bit of news, unfortunately. Sad news. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman has passed away this week. Um, obviously, commiserations. Uh, to his family and our best wishes go out to all of the, you know, our thoughts go out to, uh, to all of them, his family and friends. Mm. Uh, we don't really want to speculate too much on the hows and the whys because mm. we're not some tacky gossip magazine who's going to intrude on someone's private life, but we do want to pay tribute to him, the actor, as he has been in many excellent films and put in many excellent performances. 
Yeah, uh, just a few of those. Uh, you will have heard at the beginning of this podcast um, a lovely video that's been put together on Vimeo by a man called Ben Zook. And I'll put the link in the article that uh, surrounds this as well. And there'll be a bit playing out the podcast. But you kind of when you look at all the films he's been in, you think, actually, there's a man who never I, I can't think of a bad performance in any. He, he hasn't. I'm not saying all the films were great by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but he was a man who just uh, he, he always lit up the screen and he was usually the best thing in a film. Um uh, he obviously won the Oscar in 2005 for the title role in Capote. But just some of the other films he, he's been in, uh, Boogie Nights, The Big Lebowski. Uh, first first film that he was really in was Scent of a Woman as a, a young lad in that. And he's absolutely fantastic in Scent of a Woman. Um, and something that uh, at Kate Diamond, uh, <coughs> nepotism playing here again, of course, my wife. So that's her favourite Philip Seymour Hoffman performance. And she's gutted that not enough people have seen that film because it is one of those underrated films i think um a few other people who have um kind of contacted us on twitter uh at duke uh said that he only watched it yesterday but love lisa was one of his favorites goes through the whole gamut of emotions nails every single one of them at shork he said he was brilliant in the master didn't like the film that much i have my issues with the master but he was incredible in it uh so he his favorite is uh capote uh at brooker 411 uh obvious ones for him doubt capote and 25th hour and a few people actually said um mission uh mission impossible 3 um in fact a really interesting uh, jackson tyler i just want to read out his tweets um at tyler 002 uh said all of them but especially mission impossible 3 which is a terrible terrible movie garbage script garbage direction literally nothing to work with but philip seymour hoffman makes his scene special Many are great, uh, many are good in great films, but that's doing the impossible. And I, I think I, I don't necessarily agree uh, quite as strongly as Jackson does on, on Mission Impossible 3. I quite like the franchise anyway. But the great thing for me about Philip Seymour Hoffman was he could do he could do pretty much anything. He could play those special parts in big Hollywood films like Mission Impossible 3. I watched Along a Came Polly again recently, the Ben Stiller, Jennifer Aniston, Ron Cole. He's the best thing in that by absolute miles away. He's he, He's very funny, but he also did some incredible work in films like The Master, Capote, um, uh, Boogie Nights, Magnolia. Uh, and and I've just realised how many more films looking through that I haven't even seen him in yet. Yeah, well, not many people mentioned Punch Drunk Love, but I think he's brilliant in that. I mean, mm. people go on about how hey, it's strange because Adam Sandler's in it and Adam Sandler acts really well. But yeah. the small role that Philip Seymour Hoffman has is is one of the best things in it you know have yeah. you seen it and yes i have a long long time yeah. ago and you're absolutely and right he's um, forward, just, shut up shut up shut up shut shut up shut the fuck up <laughs> Fantastic, yeah. um and again and someone else and i've still not seen it i feel i've not seen almost famous um it's just one of those films that has passed me by and i've never got around to watching and a few people just mentioned his cameo in almost famous just saying that you know again best thing in the film uh he's possibly one of the best things in the big lebowski for me um he, he's he's an utterly brilliant uh well was uh, an utterly brilliant actor and uh and, and only 46 as well I, I didn't realize that he was only 46 and i think 
alongside, as Steve said, you know, our thoughts really go out to the fact that he left a family, uh, a, a long-term partner and three children. That's, you know, let's not kid ourselves. That's the ultimate tragedy here. But from an artistic and a cultural point of view, potentially 30 more years of films from someone like Philip Seymour Hoffman that we, you know, we've missed out on. And that, I, I think the film world is going to be poorer for that. And it's, it's a huge shame. And it, it genuinely, it shook me a little bit, actually. It, it, it shook me up because it just came out of absolute nowhere. Um, so, yeah, clearly, sadly missed. But anyone who loves film has said how much they're going to miss him. And they, we really are. And I think that's a, a real shame. And I think it was kind of inevitable that this, this episode, you know, going forward and some of the films we're going to talk about later and maybe some of the recommendations are going to take on a bit of a, uh, a Philip Seymour Hoffman uh, feel, uh, and and rightly so. Yeah, so, uh, on to what... Uh, I'll have a break, and then we'll be on to what we've been watching. It's time for what we've been uh, watching now, uh, where we take a look at the films that we have watched over the last week or so uh, that aren't necessarily new releases. James, do you want to kick us off with your continued quest around the world of cinema? Uh, well, I would do if I'd seen anything. Um, see, this is what I do. I start something and then like, other stuff gets in the way. It's really good to see, actually. There's a couple of people on Twitter who've really been taking this seriously. Uh, I said it was a really good idea and they've like really gone, gone on with it. Uh, one of them is at Andrew Alcock. Uh, and another one is at Shorky1969. They, if you look on the hashtag around the world in 80 films, they've been piling in on some interesting ones. I've got a few more um, today. Uh, I've, I've been out to a, a CEX and picked up a couple more for a quid each, um, including the Korean film that Owen mentioned recently is his favourite Korean film uh, so far, and that is this bittersweet. Is it this bittersweet life? A bittersweet life. A bittersweet yeah, life. Like Kim Ji Woo. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so I've picked that. So I, I and I've also picked up a Norwegian film called O Horton. And considering I've been in Scandinavia, I'm tempted to hang out in Scandinavia for another week and then head out to Korea. But um, yeah, very quickly, uh, one film I did watch this week was 9.79, which is an ESPN 30 for 30 documentary. Uh, very quickly, I'd just say it's the center of the hundred meters. Uh, essentially, it's about a great rivalry between Carl Lewis and Ben Johnson, and it focuses. It, mainly on the 1988 100 metres final at the Seoul Olympics, which is one of my first sporting memories, I'll be honest. The, the shock of like this big star cheating. Uh, that, that that affected me quite a lot as a, an eight-year-old. As we know, I get affected by a lot of things. But um, what I will just say very quickly, uh, this documentary, the good thing of it is all eight sprinters they've got interviews with, including Linford Christie, uh, Ben Johnson, Carl Lewis, uh, and a few others, uh, and a lot of the key players behind what was happening in sprinting at the time. That's a good thing. The bad thing is that no one really challenges them. Uh, so they're, they're kind of left to challenge each other via their individual interviews. So you've got to do a lot of work yourself and, and kind of go, well, who do I believe? There's not much cross-examination going on. Um, but a really interesting documentary. But the film I want to talk about is The Savages, uh, which is a Philip Seymour Hoffman film. Uh, last night, um, talking to people about Philip Seymour Hoffman, and this film came across quite a few times. Uh, people recommended it. It was uh, at Sundance uh, and Toronto in 2007. Um, 
stars Philip Seymour Hoffman and Laura Linney, who I love as well. And she was actually Oscar nominated uh, for this role in 2007 as well. So the uh, the film itself is about a sister and a brother who aren't completely estranged, but they're not particularly close. And they are they are pretty much estranged from their father, who's been living with someone uh, for the last 20 years. But she dies and he's suffering the kind of first stages of dementia. And so they have to this this kind of broken up family has to come back together and kind of work through the, the trauma that goes with uh, any family that's had to go through dementia. Um, it's very much a kind of it is very much a Sundance film. I don't know if anyone saw recently there was a video going around about it, it was someone made the typical Sundance film. Uh, and yeah, there are kind of like random shots of birds shooting up from the sky and kind of twiddly music and stuff like that. And, you know, it is about people and their feelings and things like that. It's very much a, a Sundance film. But when you've got Laura Linney and Philip Seymour Hoffman in the leads, kind of don't care so much. And you just let them get on with their work. And uh, I really enjoyed this film. It's far from being a... A cheerful film, certainly not a cheerful film. I, I wouldn't even call it uplifting either. And some bits of it are very dark and depressing, but with tinges of humour, uh, kind of gallows humour that people, human beings, have to find in those kind of situations. So both Laura Linney and Philip Seymour Hoffman, they uh, they are they they both work in the theatre world. Um, uh, they're characters, and they're very liberal. There's a lot of kind of uh, discussions of liberal guilt when they talk about whether or not to put their father in a nursing home and things like that. Um, some really, really nice interactions between the two of them uh, and them with other characters as well. Philip Bosco actually is Lenny Savage, their dad. Uh, excellent, excellent performance from him as a man really, you know, just kind of losing touch with reality. It is quite an upsetting film in some, in some places. Um, uh, well, I would say is Laura Linney actually is the the star. She's absolutely fantastic. She kind of she carries this a lot of this film on her shoulders because uh, she is the one who ends up kind of becoming closer to her father and spending more time with him. So that that relationship is the the key part of the film. But Philip Seymour Hoffman, as fantastic as he always is in this, essentially, um, uh, and also very very funny. Uh, both Laura Linney, Philip Seymour Hoffman very very funny in this and i think the only other thing i'd say about this film is it could have been one of those films that tried to make its protagonists heroic the fact that they come back and look after their dad you know and they drop a lot of their life uh but it doesn't it doesn't make them out to be heroes it's it's actually quite an honest film and it says do you know what some people go through hard times some people have to do things they don't want to do and some people get on with it and it's not kind of making them heroes and it shows their flaws and it's just quite a human kind of drama um about the small things that can affect one one family so no i, I definitely i recommend it I, I picked it up on dvd from a charity shop yesterday because i went out looking for films and uh, uh picked it up and I, I think it's quite easily available though uh, and it's you can you can rent it from Love Film, for example. But yeah, it's definitely worth watching. Um, well, I watched myself a uh, another Philip Seymour Hoffman film, although he he's he's not in it kind of a considerable amount. That was the 2011 uh, Oscar-nominated uh, film Moneyball, starring Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill. 
uh, based on a on a book or on, on a true events of the Oakland Athletics baseball team, um, where the general manager, um, who played by Brad Pitt, tries to assemble a team on the cheap using statistics to pick kind of underrated players. Uh, it get on base. Get on base. Yeah, <laughs> it's all about getting on base. Basically, don't go for glory. Do it for the team. Don't hit a home yeah. run. Just get on base. Anyway, uh, I did not. This it was. I found it okay. I didn't find it great. I didn't find it. I didn't find any of the performances great. I didn't find it bad. Maybe it's because I get paid to analyze football data and write about football using statistics. And maybe it was kind of a busman's holiday for me. Maybe the last thing I wanted to do when I was sitting down to watch a film to enjoy was what yeah. was watch one about sports statistics. Or maybe it was because baseball is probably more boring than cricket. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Cricket's awesome. Stats are awesome. What's wrong with I, you, I man? didn't criticise cricket. I criticised baseball. <laughs> yeah, I know. But the inference was there, Steve. I know what you were saying. Um yeah, I, I just didn't find it. It was good. It was watchable. You know, I wanted to watch it to the end. I, I didn't dislike it, but I just didn't find it great. I didn't find it Oscar worthy. I didn't find any of the performances kind of stand out. Um, and I suppose the whole the whole idea of the film and the book and, and and what the guy tried was was to change baseball and win on the cheap. And although they set a, a league record and won twenty games on the trot. They didn't actually win anything, so yeah. it's kind of kind of makes the whole thing a bit pointless in my mind. Because if they'd gone and, and won the World Series with this Moneyball method of finding, because you know one of them is a really good pitcher, but he's got a really funny technique. It looks ridiculous, but he's he's really effective. Yeah, if if that had worked, if they'd won the World Series, maybe that would have made it better because it's kind of you know a, a bigger end game. I'm not saying. Mm-hmm you know, dramatise that and change the ending because that would have been stupid. Yeah, because clearly <laughs> that would have really annoyed people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, but, um, maybe if that had actually happened and the film could have centred around that. It so would... you're saying the film shouldn't have even been made in the first place? No, uh, no I'm, just kind of, I'm just kind of saying it, it lacks something. And, no. it, and it, all seems, it all seems a bit pointless making a film about them when they didn't do anything. I mean, I you know, you could go 20... No one, all right, it'll go down the record book and people remember it, but it's not really... It, is an achievement, but it's not really a sporting achievement because you've not won anything. There's no trophy at the end of it. There's no medal at the end of it. There's no glory at the end of it. But there but... was a journey, and there was a book that came out of it. And no, uh, what I would say, and I think I think it's quite interesting actually, Steve, because clearly you're yeah you, know, you you're someone who writes about sport, and you're someone who writes about sports statistics, uh, and that's quite interesting because you said kind of didn't really do much for you because I I know a lot of people who enjoyed it know nothing about baseball know nothing about sport and kind of i know for a number of people one of the the successes of the film was that it got them to care they at least cared about what happened in the film despite the fact that they have no interest in baseball and have no interest in ever knowing anything about baseball as well um maybe i'm slightly biased because the script is by aaron sorkin who cannot do anything wrong not just in my eyes but in the eyes of god okay uh that's a, a bold claim it is a bold claim. Do not presume to speak um, on behalf of God, but <laughs> <laughs> this, this um, podcast does not no claim to speak no, on behalf no, of no, only, yeah, only we, James. We are not, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
uh, and it's up for other people to decide whether or not I am which, God. Uh, which, <laughs> de- which, which deity me and Owen speak on behalf of is up for you to decide. Just, just, yeah, just just not the one that gets us into lots of trouble. That's all I'm going to say. Anyway. What's wrong with Buddha? Buddha. Yeah. Yes, but the Buddhists uh, it, are not. Isn't, isn't, isn't technically the one that would get us into trouble the same one as, as God? Oh, only one God, even, yeah. oh, God, let's not even go into this. Moneyball, right, yeah. okay. Jonah Hill, I thought was Sorry, yeah. Jonah Hill, I thought was excellent uh, in Moneyball, and it was the first one where people went, "Oh my God, Jonah Hill can act," uh, and he doesn't just sit around but, being. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, don't, I didn't find anyone bad in it. It wasn't a bad film. I just didn't see it being as as, okay. as great as what it kind of the the kind of praise it got. But obviously, yeah, Jonah Hill probably was the standout one in it because it is the. Although mm. I've seen this after, I've seen him act as it were. Yeah. It is his first film where he's not doing a comedy or a first kind of yeah. main high-profile film where he's not doing a comedy. And, and mm. he is very good. And it, you kind of get yeah. to see how versatile he is and how how not a one-trick pony he is. Yeah. I, I, I liked it. I, I, I liked it. It reminded me... It did actually, in a way, remind me a little bit of just a dramatised ESPN 30 for 30 or something like that. I thought I thought it was an interesting story. Um, and And... I t- totally get what you mean about it not really having a a kind of Hollywood narrative, and it doesn't at all. Um, but I, I enjoyed the journey along the way. I thought it had some nice performances. But as a matter of balance, my wife, who is just as big a fan, possibly bigger than me, of Aaron Sorkin, it's the one thing of his that she stopped watching halfway through and is not bothered that she didn't finish it. So, you know, that maybe I am wrong. But I, I enjoyed it. Oh, I think we'll probably have to agree to disagree on that one then. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, all right, why don't you finish off what we've been watching then with with the film that you have have watched? Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, they, I'm just going to mention as well because, like everybody else this week, I also watched a Philip Seymour Hoffman film, um, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, which is also Sidney Lumet's last film as well. Uh, which of the, uh, I think I said uh, before we started the recording of this podcast. Of the five Sidney Lumet films I've seen, it's the least good of those. It's still a very good film. Well, it's still a good film. I wouldn't go as far as saying very good. Uh, it's still a good film. But yeah, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Again, unsurprisingly, the best thing in it. Um, so it's worth watching for, for his performance. Um, but yeah, the actual film that I want to talk about, uh, I've, you know, as I've mentioned on previous podcasts and on Twitter and on Letterboxd and on Facebook and all that, I, uh, watched quite a lot of South Korean films, particularly uh, over the last sort of month or two. And one of the most famous Korean directors is a guy called Lee Chang Dong, who was quite important very late in the 90s. He made some very, uh, this I mean, back in, in the 90s, Korean films, I don't think they overall were doing too well. And Lee Chang Dong came along and he made some that were uh, just before things like Shiri came out and, and uh joint security area and all those he made some films that were really different to what what people considered of korean films quite cerebral stories and um i mean what i would compare the this is the only film i've seen it's called poetry it was released in 2010 it's the only film of his obviously but it reminds me a little bit of michael hanukkah you know it's got that Mm -hmm. same um voyeuristic nature that we've talked about on on his films like a more uh, and hidden where you're, you're almost peering in 
through somebody's curtains to see what it is they're doing. Only Michael Hanukkah's films, I, I get the impression he kind of hates the audience or he wants the audience to be offended by what he's doing and the sort of implications he's placing them on them. Uh, whereas this is just, poetry is just a very, very beautiful film. Um, but Lee Chang Dong, what happened to him? He took some time out from making films. He's only made, he's only directed five films, uh, but he became like a, a minister for culture for the South Korean government. Oh. So he's got quite a different perspective from your, in inverted commas, typical Korean film, if you like. Um, so yeah, anyway, onto the actual film itself. Um, it's about an elderly grandmother. She's the guardian of um, a young, apathetic teenage grandson. Um, the kid's mom lives away in uh, Busan, I think they said. But she gets on by she gets by on government uh, subsidies, and she has a low-paid part-time home care job where she looks after this guy who's got um, a disability. Um, eventually, she kind of decides that she's going to enrol on a local poetry class. When she was a kid, she loved writing poetry. Her friends all think she should be good at it. Uh, her daughter says that she should sign up for it, so she does. Uh, only she really struggles to find any inspiration. At the same time, she has a few health scares. Uh, she has a weird like sensation in her arm, which she goes to see the doctor about, which she's quite worried about. But she also keeps forgetting words in the middle of sentences. Uh, she just can't remember what a word is, very common words, and she's a little bit concerned about that. I think it's safe to say we all know when you watch that and what's happening mm. to her, it's sort of the onset of dementia, of Alzheimer's. Um, but she's almost kind of in denial about that. But she still wants to write poetry. She still wants to tell people what's in her heart. But she, she can't figure out what's in her heart, what is what it is she wants to say. Uh, and also, <laughs> you've got a story that's going on with her grandson, um, who might be quite possibly is involved in uh he's implicated in uh, uh one of his local classmates a young girl who's committed suicide and him and a few of his friends are sort of possibly involved in that so there's quite a lot going on already um mm. lots of different aspects to, to to sort of hook you in if you like but it's mainly about uh yang mia um played by an actress called Yoon Jung-hee. I think that's how you pronounce her name. She's um, actually, she, she's pretty amazing. She's a really talented actress, but this film got her out of retirement. Uh, she was quite famous in career in the 60s, I think, 60s and 70s, when it was going through its major um, golden era in career. Mm. She was a really famous actress. She was really well respected. She, she did retire, I think, in the 90s, but this drew her back out of retirement and it was totally worth it she's she just steals every scene um yeah so she's very good she also looks great for us i think she's 66 in the film and you wouldn't well, tell yeah. it's just astonishing but her level of performance is also just that of a really younger energetic uh actress so yeah i was blown away by how good she is but also the directing in it is everything that i'd expected from the lee chang tong film everything i knew about his work um it's just just beautiful and it's really it seems effortlessly graceful the, the language in it and the dialogue uh obviously it's being translated i don't speak korean but you know it's still it, the, the way that everything moves it's very natural um and apparently one of his inspirations for this film was 
nature he was just watching a japanese documentary i think and it was just like shots of different things in nature with some soft music behind it and that's kind of what inspired him to do this and he started to think about a story that could go with it with this old lady um and the things that are happening to her family which is also inspired by real events a story that he, he heard about um and it just it just definitely seems natural it seems everything is uh occurring because that's how it's meant to uh, it doesn't feel forced it doesn't feel contrived it doesn't feel like somebody has thought up a story and thought up twists and thought up events and then tried to shoehorn them into into a, a script it, it's it's not like that at all it's just really moving as well um how heartbroken uh, this old lady is her, her struggles and the things that her grandson's been accused of and it's just really involving. It also, I mean, it's about two hours long, the film. Um, and I, I don't want to say that it, it feels like two hours, but at 40 minutes in, you feel like you've gotten 40 minutes worth of film already. Right, and you yeah. just want to, to continue getting more and more and more. Because there's so much in it that most of it isn't spoken either. You're just relying on the performance and you're relying on uh, the actions of the characters and yeah, I mean, it's just, um, like I say, everything that I wanted it to be, wanted it to be and everything that I kind of expected it to be. Um, so I'm definitely going to seek out more of um, Lee Chang Dong's film. But if if anyone wants an entry point, this is as good as any, I can assume, because mm. it's it's just, just fantastic. OK, uh, I think that rounds up uh, what we've been watching for now. Uh, and we'll be back after a quick break with some uh, reviews of new releases. So our review of new releases or films that have been out for the last week or so, probably longer than a week, that you can actually see in the cinema now, though, because we only reviewed one last week. Um, so these might not actually be, strictly speaking, new releases. They're still pretty new, though. New, yeah. Newish releases. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to start off with the Oscar-nominated... Uh, it's not Oscar-nominated for Best Film, though, sorry, is it? It's... Um, no, he's got acting noms. Yes. Yeah. Um, I suppose it still is Oscar nominated. Therefore, I'm right and forget what I just said. Uh, <laughs> August Osage County. Osage. 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 Yeah. Osage. <laughs> potato. Osage. Yeah, Osage. Potato, <laughs> potato. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it is a film about a family that come together uh, around the uh, the father. Uh, as, as death and suicide uh, here is a clip what'd you do to your hair I had it straightened why would anybody do that just wanted a change you're a pretty girl why don't you wear makeup do I need makeup every woman needs makeup don't let anybody tell you different the only woman pretty enough to go without makeup was Elizabeth Taylor and she wore a ton Shoulders are all slumped and your hair's all straight and don't wear makeup. You look like a lesbian. Wow. You could get a decent man if you would just spruce up a bit. That's all I'm saying. My tongue is on fire. You supposed to be smoking? Is anybody supposed to smoke? Yeah, so that was a clip of August, uh, August Osage County or whatever you want to call Osage. it. Osage. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Osage. <laughs> I'll call it what I want. Yes. Uh, uh, starring Meryl Streep, Julia Roberts, and 
others. Uh, those are the two that have received uh, nominations for Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress, respectively. Um, so James, me and you are the ones that have seen it. Yeah. Uh, I think it's based on a play by Tracy Letts. Yeah. She she wrote the screenplay for this as well. It, Tracy Letts is actually a man as well. Just just before we get too far into this. This is this is confusing because there's a man called Tracy who wrote this and a man called Beverly in the film and it's just yeah exactly <coughs> it's yeah. all um, over the place with names yeah Tracy Letts who also wrote the uh, play um, that was then turned into a film Killer Joe as well mm-hmm. uh, so yes any anyway um, I'll start off by saying I don't this isn't the kind of film I'd usually watch um, I don't think it's kind of marketed at the mid twenty single male I, w- no, I think we had yes. the same experience Steve yes I was comfortably the only man in the screening and the only under 40 possibly even under 50 I, I... oh I had a few elderly couples in mind including one bloke who decided to give his commentary during it that was uh, that was just... that was nice of him you should have got him on the podcast yeah. it'd be better than <laughs> it'd be better than me <laughs> it'll make more, like, oh, it'll make more oh, sense one... than I will a pivotable bit, like all of us, you know, someone reveals something because, oh, she didn't know that. I was like, yeah, thanks. Thanks for that, you old dick. <laughs> um, yeah, it's one of those. I, I've said this before. I can't remember which film it was that I was talking about previously uh, that attracted a load of these types as well. Possibly Nebraska. Yeah, I, I, I found that this kind of film, like this, well, not this kind of film, but a film aimed more of an older audience has it. Because yeah. I had this problem with Les Mis as well. Yeah. It tends to have yeah, a, yeah. A, a worse behaved audience than something yeah. something like a Fast and Furious film where you'd expect it to yeah. be full of chavvy little wankers. I'll be honest, Kick-Ass 2 had a terrible audience as well, but this had per capita just as bad an audience. It's the extremes. Basically, I only want people like me in the cinema. That's all <laughs> I, I don't care. I just want people to shut up. Well, yeah, there's that as <laughs> That's well. That's all I anyway, ask. Yeah. So, so we neither of us had a great experience with the audience. Well, no, no the audience were, were generally fine in mine, except for they would, oh, they would start. Yeah, it yeah. just you could just get the impression from me being in fine. there that that film wasn't aimed at me. The old don't listen to podcasts. We can't yeah. insult them. It's... Yes, don't. I don't know how to use a computer. Anyway, <laughs> um, what what did you think of the film? You know, I I quite liked it. I quite liked it. Um. You could tell it was based on a play. And although parts of it did kind of try and break out of the theatrical space that it obviously came from, because there's some plays that transfer to films and you think, well, what was the point in doing that? You know, because they, they are two different mediums and a direct translation sometimes can be really disappointing because what works really well on stage is the live, uh, the kind of anything could go wrong. And, you know, that kind of, really spontaneous energy and the fact that you're in the room with those people that's what works about theater what work, film is film is a medium of the moving image and so if you all you're doing is filming people sat talking then film you might as well have filmed the play and then stuck that up on screen um but there is there's a bit it's not quite that bad uh with this although uh the director john wells is a kind of a veteran of tv he directed lots of episodes of er um and it, yeah, there's nothing hugely dynamic about the direction. Um, is, the story, it's, it's just, oh, sorry, it's, it's more a film about the performances than, yeah, uh, yeah I exactly. mean, I mean, I think we should probably say, we could probably can and should say a bit more about, about the plot other than kind of what I said in the introduction. 
Well, yeah, okay, basically, it's about uh, an Oklahoma family which have kind of again kind of grown up, grown apart, and so uh, yeah, a father dies, uh, and the matriarch sudden her daughters come back home, and it is about how that again it's issues of family duty, uh, issues of feeling too good for an area that you lived in. Um, and each of those daughters comes back with various different relationships and relatives and children in tow. And those kind of, you know, those relationships unravel during the course of this day. I'll be, it is a very, very, very much a play. You know, I was watching it thinking, yeah, this is, this is exactly the kind of thing that I've seen loads of times in the theatre. You know, it's, it's, it feels like a play simply through the actions of its characters and the language and so the thing that just about keeps it being of interest cinematically for me are the performances um yeah Meryl Streep has been nominated for best actress in I'll be honest there's a little bit of hamminess going on here uh she's brilliant she is brilliant but in the same way that Al Pacino is brilliant in heat and things like that you know she's a little bit hammy um it's kind of a cross between her character in Devil Wears Prada and Patsy Stone from Abfab. Uh, with, I, I'm sure she'd hope that there was a little bit more seriousness there as well. Um, and, and she's she's very funny in it as well. It, yeah, it's, it, it's not obviously an out-and-out comedy, but it's certainly no. funny parts of the... There's some great lines, yeah. and she's got most of them as well. And, and, she, and, uh, she, and she's, she's very kind of... The character... I mean, she plays she plays someone who's both a, a cancer sufferer and a drug addict. Yeah, brilliantly. Yeah. She she pulls. Oh, yeah, and, and, yeah. You know, the character as well, considering she's got all these problems, and for most of the films, she's high as a kite on drugs. Yeah. She she keeps saying, you know, that she, nothing gets by her. She's she's this is all knowing mother, all knowing entity who knows all the family secrets, can read everyone like a book, and and it proves right throughout the film. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, ultimately what what costs her. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, it's it's um yeah it's it's it. She's not the only good performance. And when I first saw the poster, I thought, oh my god, how many names are they going to try and fit on the poster? Because you know, just reading up, Julia Roberts, who is very good in this yeah. as well, and she doesn't she doesn't appear too much I mean, in films. I mean, I've I've not seen too many Julia Roberts. I think the last film I saw him was probably Ocean's Twelve, where she. Play Julia mm, like, Julia Roberts played like someone Rob- who looked like Julia yeah. Roberts who then had to pretend to be Julia Roberts. I think the most was very meta. In, uh, yeah, was uh, Charlie Wilson's War, which uh, written by Aaron Sorkin and uh, also features Philip Seymour Hoffman in a big role there as well. So that's quite interesting. But yeah, um, no, she just, was in that. But, can I just yeah. just butt into the conversation there for a minute? Because Steve's name brought up Ocean's Twelve. I haven't yeah. seen uh, Osage, Osage, Osage County. Because, Osage. Yeah. There we go, got there in the end. Um, partly because I thought from the trailer it looked like horrendously smug. And one of the films it reminded me of from the trailer, but you know, bear in mind I haven't actually seen the film itself, it was Ocean's Twelve in that horrible, smug, up itself sort of way. Ah, uh, right. Now, this no. this feels totally different from the it's a group of mates who've got together and had a smug laugh. Yeah. Amongst the, it's totally no. This feels like a proper. This feels like a lot of actors who put okay. together and are being very actorly. Now, again, that still will rub some people up the wrong way. Um, 
because like I say, it's, it's very theatrical in its staging and in its performances. However, I think the story is interesting enough to keep it going, and 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 there's genuinely some proper acting performances here. You know, Chris Cooper's in it. He, Chris Cooper's fan. I like it. I like him a lot. He, anyway. he is fantastic. very good in this as well as as yeah. one of the supporting yeah. characters. He's kind of, exactly uh, um, const- Dermot- constantly trying to be oh. like a voice of reason and sense in a yeah. in a madhouse. Yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, he does that really nice. Yeah, he actually plays the kind of more laid back person, which you don't quite you don't often see from Chris Cooper in films. So that was quite nice. Um, Dermot Mulroney plays this kind of trashy yuppie esque. Uh, boyfriend well fiance of juliette lewis who is brilliant in this and i'm so happy to see juliette lewis back uh on screen she's she's utterly great in this this will um, as one of the flighty younger sisters yeah who, who kind of is straight away from when you see her you want her to shut up but that's kind of yeah. that's that's not because it's a bad character or bad performance she's no. playing an irritating woman and yeah she, and exactly. she does it very well is it this will take away from a serious discussion about a serious film but Dermot Mulrooney, throughout the film, yeah. I just thought that's an older, taller Richard Hammond. <laughs> and that, I'm glad you didn't tell me that before. Because <laughs> uh, that, that would have taken away from it, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, obviously, Benedict Cumberbatch is in it because he's uh, he's contractually obliged to be in all films at the moment. Yeah. Um, and, and, but he's good, a uh, good accent. I, I liked him a in better, it. Better um, accent than the other Brit in this film. Then yeah, Ewan McGregor's accent is. Uh, Ewan McGregor. Now again, I like Ewan. McGregor. I don't. I don't think he was bad in this film. I don't think anyone was bad in this film. No. But but, but I just didn't. Was. Yeah, it was all over the place. Uh, and apparently Tracy Letts wasn't happy when John Wells started casting British people to play Americans because it was meant to be all it's meant to be a very all American play. But you yeah, you, know, you have got Benedict Cumberbatch, you have got Ewan McGregor. Their accents to varying different degrees. But Ewan McGregor puts in a good performance. Um Abigail Breslin, uh, as the the stroppy teenager, she she's great as well. Sam Shepherd as uh Beverly the man who uh you know causes uh this whole and, family. And, he, to and he's come he's only he, he's only in the opening scene. Mm. Um kind of pre-credit scene as it were and and that scene is is excellent with, yeah, ju- with yeah. just with just him uh meryl streep's character violet and and the kind of in-house living care they end up hiring yeah uh, yeah it what i would say yeah if if you like your if you like to watch actors at work it's definitely worth a look it's you know it oh uh, bits of it you start going oh god this is getting really it like there's moments where you go this is getting really tedious and then something electrifying will happen on screen and it, it will just jolt you right back into watching it and it's just a shame it doesn't quite keep up that consistency the whole yeah, way yeah I, I did find that you know towards the end it did start to drag a bit because you felt the arguments that the family were having it's not really a spoiler to say there's arguments yeah the film about family but the, the yeah. arguments they were having just seemed to go round in circles or a lot they of them were a bit, little bit repetitive yeah although the last 15 20 minutes is absolutely fantastic yeah. and that you know uh, there, again, there is a bomb there helps. is a bombshell drop there is a grenade thrown in there not literally think, yeah. <laughs> some some people will think that i only go to watch a film because it's explosions so no there wasn't a literal yeah. grenade a metaphorical grenade was thrown yeah. in the room and, and, and you know and that's because it's based on a play yeah you know, it's exactly you watch it and go yeah i've i've seen this structure Anyone who's been to the theatre or, you know, I did theatre studies when I was younger. So, yeah, that's a bit of my background. Now, it is it is very much the archetypal um, 
family get together. Clearly, it's not going to go well. Oh, here comes the big bombshell type. Of, you know, it, it, it's quite archetypal in that sense. Uh, and it's quite run of the mill in that sense. And I don't think it's an incredibly amazing play. Um, so what does lift it here is the performances. And I do... I don't think either Meryl Streep or Julia Roberts are going to win either of their categories at the Oscars, but I think it's I think it's fair enough they got nominated. Yeah, definitely, definitely fair nominations. Um, and I suppose we'll have to wait and see. You know, sometimes the Academy throw a curveball at you. And that, Never know. Yeah. And it's Streep. They they do love yeah, a bit of Streep. Yeah, she she is kind of Oscar gold, isn't she? Yes, exactly. Um, Anyway, that's, that's all for that film. Then I'm not even going to try and pronounce it again because I'll do it wrong. <laughs> I'm still going to just keep calling it Osage County. I like that. Osage. <laughs> but it, but it, it, but it is definitely worth watching, even though it doesn't kind of. It might not look like your kind of film, but it's definitely definitely worth a watch. Yeah. I, I, I'm as I'm as I think. Spoiler alert: We might be about about to find out there are certainly worse films you could yeah. spend your money. Mm-hmm. In but I mean, sense. but I mean, if it, if this wasn't Oscar nominated, I wouldn't have gone to see it because I'm trying to see yeah. all of the ones. And that would have been a shame. Yeah. Yeah. But it's you know it's typically not the kind of film I'd I'd watch. But it you know it was good. Um, yeah. We're getting closely towards. Uh, probably the best review we've ever had on this podcast. Well, build it yeah, up. But wow. in in between in between that, uh, between Osage County, Osage Ice Age County, <laughs> August <laughs> Ice Age, August Ice Age. That's, a, that's be... a sequel worth seeing, isn't it? Yeah, that is. That's that's like the day after tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, yes, we've now got James reviewing uh, Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit. Yeah, um, I'm not going to spend a huge amount of time on this. I went down to London last week and I was going to try and go and watch The the Great Beauty at the Prince Charles Cinema, but I misread the the listings and I, I saw 150 minutes and in my mind translated that to one hour 50. It's obviously not, it's two and a half hours. And I didn't have time to watch that. So I went to the BFI IMAX for the first time ever, biggest screen in the country, um, which was interesting. And I kind of feel like I wasted it a little bit by going to see Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit on it because Gravity was back on the week after which I would have been nice to have seen on the IMAX but um, what I would uh, those of you who don't know uh, Jack Ryan is the Tom Clancy um, creation the kind of US Secret Service intelligence agent which has uh, been portrayed in the past by Harrison Ford in a couple of films including Patriot Games and I can't remember the name of the other one yeah, anyway, uh, they, they were pretty good. Um, uh, ben Affleck in The Sum of All Fears, not a good film. And also Alec Baldwin, because Jack Ryan appears in The Hunt for Red October. Um, so this is kind of like, it's almost, it's like Americans, it's the closest America's got to Bond, which is a bit sad, really, because it's really not that good. Um, but yeah, he's a covert CIA now, and analyst and as is the trend with all franchises these days obviously we have to do the reboot and we have to go back and find out how he became jack ryan um and so he's a covert cia analyst who ends up going undercover on his first mission uh ordered to by his boss played by kevin costner who's starting to get a few more roles now he did people have forgiven him for uh the paper man paper man <laughs> the postman the paper man was terrible sequel about a man who went round an apocalyptic wasteland delivering an evening paper 
Um, but yeah, Waterworld and the Postman. That he's got, he's been forgiven. He's let back. He's been let back in. He was in Man of Steel last year. He's in this. Um, Kira Knightley stars as Jack Ryan's girlfriend, and it's directed by Kenneth Branagh and also stars Kenneth Branagh as the the Russian bad guy. And we seem to have gone back to having Russian bad guys. Uh, the 80s all over again. So Kenneth Branagh plays Victor Sherevin. So, we, so um, we've got a Russian bad guy played by a Brit. Yeah, played by a that's Brit. All we, that's um, all you want. That's all you want, exactly. Although it is a little bit, is he Russian or is he the meerkat from the go uh, compare the market adverts? It is utterly bizarre. Oh, anyway, yeah, we've got a clip for this. Uh, should we play it, Steve? Yeah, let's, let's play it. Play that clip. You stick to the scheduled audit tomorrow. Everything official, everything in public. You'll be fine. I need for you to be fine. You know, you sold this as an office job. not just an animus anymore. You're operational now. Uh, yeah, so that that was actually uh, that was Costner and, and Chris Pine there. Uh, did I even mention it was Chris Pine playing Jack Ryan? This is yeah. I, the reason I've not I sound completely unprepared for this review is because you know oh, the film it was decent enough, but it really doesn't deserve much of my time. I'll be honest. It's, if you've ever been um, uh, f- filled in a feedback form um, and you've just ticked three neither agree nor disagree all the way down your feedback that's what this film is that's that would have been my feedback form for this it would have been threes down there it did everything it needed to half decently it was uh, less than two hours long it had a few decent action set pieces it had a Brit as you say it had a Brit, Brit playing a, a European bad guy and in the end, it all turned out pretty much as you expected it to. Um, my life is no better for having seen it, but I wouldn't say it's any worse for having seen the film. It's perfectly adequate. But who, do you really want to go to the cinema and watch perfectly adequate? I say, you're not going to have a terrible time watching Jack Ryan. I don't think so, anyway. It's decent enough, but um, it's just so ordinary. It's just so ordinary. It really reminds me of those late 80s, early 90s thrillers that just pop up on ITV4 at nine o'clock and you sit there and go, yeah, just literally washes through your face. Um, And at the end you go, I'm still not quite sure I understood what was going on there, but I kind of was just about able to follow who the good guys were, who the bad guys were. Yeah, that'll do. Um, That's about all I can manage for it it's box office hasn't gone very well at all so i think jack ryan has been killed off again as a franchise when will they give up on it i have no idea um yeah and the other thing as well chris pine apart i've quite liked him in the kirk in as kirk in the uh star trek films but beyond that i don't i don't quite get him being a Hollywood star, I'll be honest. He's not got a lot of charisma. So, so which is interesting, because I think he does Kirk quite well. Uh, and Kirk's meant to be a very character. But in every other film I've seen him in, um, the worst one being uh, This Means War, which is mm. utter abomination of a film. And he is terrible in it. Um, so, yeah, Chris Pine's still getting work. Don't know why. A lot of people will say the same about Kira Knightley as well. She's all right in this. Um the best things about this film actually are Kevin Costner 
and um, Kenneth Branner. <laughs> hello, Mr. Lion. Kind of thing. Um, hello. Um, so, yeah, they're the best things about the film. Um, yeah, don't, don't bother spending it. Like I say, I can't say it's a bad film, but don't bother going to the cinema to see it. Just wait till it ends up on Netflix or whatever. Okay. Well, not too far away from us, James, is somebody who would have loved to have seen Perfectly Adequate at the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> that man is Owen Hughes and he saw I Frankenstein uh, before he goes and tears this film a new one here's a clip Niberius has found a way to summon every demon you've ever descended what? possession in bodies that have no souls only the dead have no souls what is the use of possessing a corpse? there is none unless you can animate that corpse Tiberius has been planning this for centuries. Victor Frankenstein just made it possible. There we go. That was a clip of I, Frankenstein. Owen, go. Okay. <laughs> um, right, okay. Well, I'm just going to start and just put a disclaimer in here, okay? I am pretty much going to redate my review that I've written verbatim. Um, just so if it sounds a bit odd, it's because I'm just reading it. So that's what I'm going to do. Uh, yes, I, Frankenstein is one of the worst films I have ever seen, and uh, certainly the worst film I've ever endured at a cinema. Um, it's gonna soon enough. It's gonna be joining Van Helsing, uh, you know, Blade Trinity, and the Underworld sequels on ITV2's monthly rota. Uh, it's just, it's all the worst things about Van Helsing, about Brothers Grimm, about League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And they're all sewn together and presented with a huge ta-da fanfare because it's that's all it is. It's just the worst bits of those films put together. Um, yes, okay. So it opens with a short skim through of the whole of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein through the book, the original story. Uh, like you know, this underpaid, overworked, underperforming bellend of an English literature. Lit- who's rushing through all the major plot points. So you've got, you know, Frankenstein's a scientist. Uh, he meddled in sciences he shouldn't have. Then he created life out of these old body parts. He put them together. But then the monster killed his wife. Uh, and then he died chasing the creature, etc., etc. Whatever. Who cares? Come on. Let's see where the gargoyle, the gargoyles are and they're fighting demons. Isn't this amazing? This is brilliant. And so forth. And it's just, you know, I don't mind that they skip through. The, the essential part of the story about who Frankenstein is and who Frankenstein's monster is and why he behaves the way he does. I don't so much mind that because there's tons of stuff about Frankenstein that's written, you know, from a book that was written over 200 years ago. Mm. Um, but it's just, it's the fact that the rest of the film seems so unbothered with telling you a story about him or why he he's now who he is. Uh, it just continued like that. I mean, it's just so choppy. It's just one like one long trailer sequence. If you've seen the trailer, if you've seen how it just cuts from scene to the next scene and it cuts again to the next scene, then it cuts to the next scene with all this big music in the background and things flying at you in the screen. That is it. That's the film. That's just exactly what the whole film is like. Is that what they've they just taken out two minutes from the film yeah. and then gone, here you go. That's what all print they might as well have done, yeah. I know there was um, an article on, was it Guardian recently, about um, some cinemas complaining that trailers are now spoiling yes. film. Well, if there's any evidence of that being a problem, <laughs> you know, like Frankenstein is just the film in a trailer and 
to be honest, it's not even worth watching the two minute long trailer. Um, yeah, like I say, if I've ever seen a worse film at the cinema in my entire life, and I'm including last year's Runner Runner, which I really hated, and wow. things I saw as a kid like Batman and Robin, and stuff like Spider-Man 3 and Transformers over the past few years, if I've seen a worse film in the cinema, including those, then I, Frankenstein, then I just don't recall it. It's without a doubt one of the most stupid films conceived. Um, and not just because of the plot, which is about these gargoyles and demons that have been raging this war for centuries and humans are just completely unaware of it. And I don't mean gargoyles, by the way, the stone things that sit on buildings and then they come alive and chase these demons. Oh, OK, they're, they're right. That's okay. Them. That's yeah. an interesting way to go. That's right. Um, but, you know, it's not just that, but it's this thing that humans are unaware of it. So at one point, you've got Frankenstein, the monster, who's called Adam Frankenstein. All right. <laughs> yeah. Which I think is supposed to be like a clever nod to, you know, the whole modern Adam. Prometheus story. And he's now yeah. Adam, uh, as in Adam. But it just sounds like they did. They nearly called him Ian Frankenstein. Or something like that. Yeah. Which I Frankenstein. But the stuff like he's admonished at one point for seeking out a demon. He goes on a hunt for demons. He's sick of running away from them for 200, 300 years. He's going to go and find them and kill them before they get him. Um, and then the gargoyles, who are the good guys, say, no, don't don't, don't do that, because, you, you know, that's dangerous. People, humans might suddenly be aware of our existence. You know, how reckless of Frankenstein to do something like that. So then, like, in scenes where you've got, like, hordes of these flying gargoyles over the city, they're just in the night sky flying around, you know, beams of light shoot off them. There's a massive building where they all like converge and fly out the top of instead of walking through the doors, trying to be conspicuous. Instead of that, no, that's fine. That's all right. Nobody has to say anything about that. That's not an error at all. You know, mankind won't be aware of these giant flying stone monsters. No, that's fine. Uh, Jesus. And the gargoyles are the good guys. Gargoyles are the good guys, yeah. Weird. Yeah. Okay. There's some kind of like angels that uh, are on Earth protecting humanity from these demons. Jesus. So. And who's in it again, Owen? Who's in it? Uh, you've got um, Aaron Eckhart plays Adam Frankenstein. Right, yeah. <laughs> and you've got people like Bill Nye as the main demon guy. Of course he's in Now, I love Bill Nye. I love yeah. Bill Nye bits but of course he's fucking yeah <laughs> jay courtney who was here I, I mean i think he's all right i liked him in jack reacher and I, he wasn't the worst thing about die hard five um and then you've also got yvonne strahovski who's an australian actress but she's probably going to be most famous to people for her uh, her role in dexter the tv show okay so she was in the latter seasons of dexter but you know they I like them individually. Aaron Eckhart was, I thought he was really good in The Dark Knight. He plays, um, you know, Two-Face. That yeah. Probably no, he's good. I, I like him in a, quite a few things, yeah. actually. Yeah. So he's a good actor. Not in this, though, because all of them together are terrible. They, I, Like I say in my review, they just come together like a spoonful of whatever's at the bottom of your food waste bin. Things that once were quite nice, but mixed together and left in this pile of shit. They're just... Awful, all of them. Absolutely terrible performances from every single one of them. Uh, but I don't it... know what Bill Nighy's doing in it. I, I, you know, I know that he turns up in some of these crappy films occasionally, but the, what is he doing? Honestly, what, what, what was it Michael Caine said about Jaws 12 or whatever he was in? Terrible well, film, but paid for my house or you know. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Probably that's what. Probably he... Yeah, because he he was. Could who directed this then, and what what? 
Who, yeah, okay, it's a guy um, called Stuart Beatty, who, uh, right. if I could tell you a film of his, I would, but I think he's yeah. he's m- mainly known for being a writer rather than a director. Okay, right. Um, so I think he's been involved, like G.I. Joe, Rise of the Cobra was one that he wrote, which is the, the wow. bad, that's the awful one. That's wow. Yeah. So this is the kind of level we're dealing with. It's no you know, better than that in terms of what's going on. It it's a bit like football. Like once you become a football manager, like it, you can you can just turn up at any club and they go, well, he's been a football man. Is that what's happened with Stuart? They've gone, well, he's written a film before, so we'll we'll, we'll let him write I mean, some he's more. He's got writing credits. Just checking IMDb while I'm on because yeah. I just didn't even bother looking too much into him because I just couldn't stand the movie. He's also yeah. written things like the Pirates of the Caribbean films, the sequels. Uh, oh, the sequels are terrible yeah. as well, yeah. So, you know, he's not got a huge pedigree, but I guess he makes films that make money, so... Yeah. Although, apparently, this is bombing. Yeah, good. I'm hearing this is bombing. The other thing, because I was going to try and go and watch this today, because simply so you'd, you'd have <laughs> someone to back you yeah. up. Um, and, and it turned out I could only watch it in 3D. Um, yeah. Which and I didn't know that, so I hadn't taken my glasses with me. So I would have ended up having to buy a new pair of glasses, and also pay the three D. It would have taken up to my. I was planning to pay six quid, and it would have taken up to about a tenner. I thought, oh, I sod that. I'm not going to do that. Um, but that, yeah, you know, I'll be honest. I didn't mind that so much for dread having to watch it in three D. But if if you're gonna force feed three D down our throats with a terrible film like this. So, I, I hope the bloody format dies. It's not even a good three, you know, good three. Yeah. It, it, you know, like you mentioned, Dread, and yeah. um, I thought Prometheus looked good in 3D. Yeah. Gravity is obviously in the exception, yeah. and it just looks fantastic. But exactly. in this, it's just one of these... I don't know whether it was filmed in 3D, but it, it has I the... Bet it, I bet it was post-conversion. It sounds cheap. Yeah. 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 Um, but it, it looks terrible as well. Um, but there's other things that are problems with it besides the way it looks. Um, expositional dialogue is sort of a bugbear of our podcast, I think mm. it's fair to yeah. say. It is horrendous yeah. in this. Nobody says anything that is not expositional dialogue at all. Right. And, at any point. Yeah, that's what I got from that clip, actually, that we played. That's exactly what I got from that clip, is it's just, it's about three or four people who just go, and then this happens, and it, well, that means this is going to yeah. happen. Oh, okay. Well, we better do this. Yeah, go and do that. Yeah. That, that, and that's just what I got from a 30-second clip. That's what it's... That, that's everything. That's right. all the whole... The whole film of... Wow. The whole film of it, yeah. Was, Jesus. One one redeeming feature. Any any good point. Anything. I had I'm fun the... spotting continuity errors. That was quite fun. There you go. Yeah, uh, stuff that I mean, but it's just such obvious shit as well. Normally, and, it's and obviously the... the film ended. That was obviously a plus point for you. That was a plus point. Yeah. Did you see any nice trailers? Uh, no, no, I don't think so. The film was so bad it wiped your memory of what happened before it. By the um, yeah. Imagine, imagine if you woke up tomorrow and you were stuck in a Groundhog Day type situation of the day that you went to see this <laughs> oh film. Oh my god. <laughs> Jesus Christ! No, oh no, no, I can't. That would. I, if actually though, no, thinking about it, if it's Grand Dog Day, you don't have to go and see the same. Don't go and watch it. Just don't yeah. do it. <laughs> I know what to expect. I won't do it. I'll go and learn piano for however many years it was supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, I think that will bring to a close our review of new releases. Uh, what have we got next week? I believe it's 
Dallas Buyers Club, among others. Yeah, uh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. I was just I was miles away then. I was thinking about <laughs> when I might be able to go and see I Frankenstein. Um, yeah, <laughs> next week it's Dallas Buyers. Dallas Buyers Club. Yeah, there's August Dallas Buyers Club. It's Robocop as well, yes. the Robocop remake, and um, and also next week is our 100th episode. Um, I've no idea how we're going to celebrate, but. Is it the Lego Maybe. movie as well, by the way? No, that's the week after, which oh, is an incredible okay. week. Uh, the the week after is uh, Lego movie, uh, which I'm hearing fantastic yeah. reviews for, which makes me very happy. Her, the new Spike mm-hmm. Jonze film. The Monuments Men, the new George Clooney film. And also Cuban Fury, the uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Nick Frost film, yeah. which I've heard actually is quite a nice, sweet British comedy. So that could be a really nice week. Uh, and I think I've unofficially designated that comedy special <laughs> unofficially uh, we'll be, we'll be <laughs> back uh, after a little break again just with some recommendations for next week quickly then before we go on to what we're recommending for you to watch we forgot about Lone Survivor um, <laughs> yeah easy uh, to do and James couldn't be bothered to edit this back into the proper place so we're doing it now yeah yeah <laughs> sort of professional as ever yeah so luckily a couple of people did go and see it also Out of the Furnace was out this week which I've heard very meh things about and no one bothered to tell us what it was like so i'm just gonna say uh at shorky1969 said that lone survivor was intense with some seriously good action scenes great score solid cast enjoyed it a lot he gave it four out of five and um uh at mbc uk martin cross also said that lone survivor was excellent so it might be worth having a look at it it hasn't piqued my interest i'll be honest um but well i've the fact that it's a spoiler in the title kind of annoys me. Like I just told James and I went off air that it was because of the dick narrating the trailer that put yeah. me off. You know, Weird little things. Oh, that I've, I've done all this and I've done all that and you shouldn't live life half out. Oh, fuck off. Yeah, well, well, don't join the army then. Yeah. You know, go out and live your life, you yeah. bloody idiot. Anyway, that's just annoyed any of our army listeners. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, let's move on. Yeah, uh, my recommendation is on... Thursday night on uh, Far East USA uh, is Snatch starting at 10 o'clock. Uh, Guy Ritchie's, well, I suppose, second big film after Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. One I've not seen for a long time, one that is excellent. I, I just want to say, I, I'm sure Snatch is... Oh, no, I've seen it. Okay, it, Snatch is a decent film. Um, its continued place in the IMDb Top 250 is one of the things that most irks me about that list. That's all. So I'll say that. There's some fucking great films not in there. And Guy Ritchie has two films in that Top 250 and it irks me. But it is a decent film. I think it's Sorry. a really good film. It's, yeah. like, it, it's very good. You know, it's a good, it's a good plot. Like his, I've, I haven't really liked much of the stuff he's done since Snatch, but Snatch and Lockstock and yeah. Two Smoking Barrels... Both, both really witty, both quite funny, both got a good plot and story that you know all ties together nicely at the end. With, with some, you know, they're they're enjoyable films, they're good films. But mm, since, yeah. since, but since that, he's been a bit wank. Oh god, yeah. 
<laughs> anyway, sorry, that that's just me being grumpy. Talking. What what? It's, it's got late and I'm grumpy. What are you sorry. bloody recommending then? That's so okay, good. Uh, well, okay, I'm going to recommend uh, just to finish off the podcast in terms of you know themes that we've had. Um, Capote, uh, the Philip Seymour Hoffman film that he won his Oscar for. It's available on UK Netflix, uh, and it's a it's a really interesting film actually. It's not not one of the best films ever made. Um, and it's one of those films which basically its central performance makes it. And weirdly, Philip Seymour Hoffman, who's always seemed like a bear of a man in most of the films he's in, somehow transforms on screen to become this very small, uh, tiny voiced. But it's it's a real kind of transformation and one of the most chameleon like performances of uh, Hoffman's career. And it's the one he won the Oscar for. So that's available on UK Netflix. OK, I'm Owen. Uh, okay, the film I'm going to recommend is the first film in a series of films, a season of films on uh, film four. Um, and it starts with Yojimbo on Thursday, the 6th of February at 11 a.m., um, which is a, a part of the Akira Kurosawa uh, season. So if you've um, you know seen things like Seven Samurai or Rashomon, it's him. It's his films they're showing. So Yojimbo is the first film that was... Uh, Remade famously as A Fistful of Dollars, Clint Eastwood, mm-hmm. Moiso Giuliani. Um, but then the following week, they're so showing Sanjuro, and then the following week is The Hidden Fortress, and then Throne of Blood. And then uh, first week of March is Ikaru, which is the one of his films I've been trying to get hold of for a long time. So I'm really looking forward to that. But yeah, starts with the Jimbo on Thursday. So that's that's my recommendation your jimbo's a quality film lovely love your jimbo yeah great film i know i'm looking forward to that actually um because i've i've barely seen any i've seen your jimbo and i've seen seven samurai so uh have you not seen Rush, like, rashomon no no I've heard, such, rashomon. I've heard such good things about rashomon uh but i've not seen it yet and i've not seen uh ram yeah, um yeah. so no i'm looking forward to these definitely there's a great simpsons joke about rashomon Okay. So, yeah. I, Probably I, won't make sense. To, usually is. Not seen it. Yeah, but he's. I I know the plot of the film, okay. but I, yeah. Homer's, I think Homer says to March that uh, he didn't like Rashomon, and then March says, "Are you sure? I thought you liked it." He says, "Not. That's not how I remembered it." Because the whole film. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's clever. No, yeah. I like that. Yeah. Very good. Excellent. Uh, that's all for this week's podcast. Then uh, we'll be back around the same time next week. Um, with our 100th podcast we'd like to thank you all for listening and anyone who's contributed to the podcast or site and we'll catch you in a week there's only one thing I value in this world Stephen and that's loyalty and without it you are nothing and you have no one I am a writer, a doctor, a nuclear physicist a theoretical philosopher but above all I am a man I whip it up I wrap it around its neck and I wrestle wrestle are you thoughtless in your remarks? Is your life a struggle? Is your behavior erratic? Do your past failures bother you? Do you often think about how inconsequential you are? All humans are imperfect. Everyone's lives are like a very long sidewalk. Some are well paved. Others, like mine, have cracks, banana skins, and cigarette butts. <laughs>